how we're beaming back in for another episode. Welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. I am your usual host, Mike Wilson, the general of the Klingon Empire. No, not really. Uh, but this is the continuation of our Klingon-themed series. So we will be looking at a very important Klingon-themed episode later on, that being the Enterprise two-parter, Affliction and Divergence. We'll get into that later. Don't worry about that. But we have bits and pieces beforehand. First of all, I have to introduce uh, the people here with me. So first, my co-host, DK. Welcome. Hello. How's it going? Are you feeling all right? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Ready to get this uh, this show on the road. Awesome, awesome. And DK just did his first solo work for our other podcast. So if you haven't yet checked out our interview with uh, Tom Holland, not that one, uh, the director of Child's Play, Fright Night, the writer of Psycho 2, horror legend, basically, please go and check that out if you've got any interest in horror. We want that to do well because it's a fantastic interview. So DK, I've plugged that up top for you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, mate. We might get, we might get one more viewer. <laughs> we never know. And uh, yeah, we are joined by kind of a returning guest, although this is the first time he's actually done the, the podcast, I suppose, proper. Uh, you'll recognize the voice from our top 10 Starfleet ships and our uh, Trekker Mind series. Uh, we're welcomed again by Ken Sweeney from the Comfortable Spot podcast. Welcome back, Ken. Hi, guys. How are you doing? I'll resist the urge to say top of the morning to you. So. <laughs> hey, Shani. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I know, I upset myself with that one. Anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in comes the Chief O'Brien icon, just as I said that. Perfect timing. Oh, Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> so just to quickly go over some stuff, uh, the podcast breaks down into sections, if you're new or you're unfamiliar, where we basically start by doing a little get to know you with our guest. Uh, then we would jump into normally the hit or miss section, which will be a little bit different this week, but I'll explain later. Uh, then we jump into the review of the episodes in question, hear from the audience what they thought about it, and then give our conclusions on our scores out of five, and briefly touch on before that our favorite character moment and line. So, <laughs> without any further ado, then the first thing we do, because Ken, we haven't had you in before for an actual full on proper podcast episode, we mm -hmm. haven't really had a chance to break down the introduction that we normally do with everybody. Hey. So, I'm going to do the uh, shining the light in your face Cardassian style situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really not that bad. In the section that I geekily call Healing Frequencies Open. Healing Frequencies Open, sir. So, oh. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, Ken, welcome back to the podcast. We know a little bit about you from, well, a fair bit from our conversations in the other two episodes, even though they weren't specifically geared towards that. So we do know that you are a fan of Enterprise, which is quite fitting for this week's review. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly, you're a fan of Captain Archer, it seems. Yeah. Um, not as much of a fan of some of the newer Trek stuff. And yeah, a huge fan of Chief O'Brien, your, your countryman, it seems. <laughs> Flying the flag, yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, what's your man's name that used to be in the Star Trek? He was say, take me home again, Kathleen. What was his name? The guy in the original episodes? I can't think of it. Moriarty or something, what, wasn't it? Or what was his name actually? Yeah, Finnegan yeah. or something, was it? Finnegan. No, that was there was a real like, you know, it was a real like Darby O'Gill name. Oh um, Riley. You know. It was Riley, Riley. Yeah. Yeah. Lieutenant oh, Kevin Riley, oh, the guy who was yeah. like, Yeah, free ice cream for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, God. Yeah. <laughs> at least we don't. Um, have, at least you know the Russians had, he had to wear a wig, so at least he didn't have to wear a wig. So that was good. <laughs> oh my word! Can you imagine just giving him like a red wig? <laughs> yeah, geez, you know, like bloody hell. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So that's me. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm a yeah. big fan of Captain Archer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think about him a lot during the day. I think about him a lot, and I think about he's getting so old. So who would you get to replace him if they ever decided to have a movie or something? You know, and I was thinking. Well, 
so hard to replace, you know. It's just that grit that came, you know, like mm. as if it just came in on a horse after riding with Clint Eastwood, you know. It's just hard. <laughs> on here, you know. I, just, I think we would uh, we'd probably just resort to doing it animated, and then we just need his voice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of Aaron Eckhart actually from um, you know Battle of L.A. He might be, you know, he could yeah. come close. He kind of got the haggardy look, hasn't he? You know, handsome. He's haggardy. no Sam Beckett, though. Let's be fair. <laughs> no, no, but he's he's close enough, you know. He's maybe he's the right age as well. He's been pushing fifty now, so it'd be perfect, you know. But you can dream, I can dream, everyone can dream. <laughs> we'll leave you uh, to dream about that one. <laughs> but yeah, I do have a few questions to ask you that we've asked every guest. So the first one, the first one would be, uh, what is it that first got you into Star Trek? Can you remember your first experience, your exposure to it, maybe your first episode, and what was it that grabbed you about it that made you uh, want to carry on watching? Kind of a slow burner. You know, I used my father used to watch it a lot. Um, he was very much in Star Trek because he liked the, you know, the storylines behind it. I remember very early on when I was in Dublin and, you know, the house we had seven in our house. So television was at a premium, you know, real premium. Wow. So, you know, I used to get him when my father would have complete control. He was master controller, you know. So when he watched the TV, I kind of got a chance to sit down and watch it with him. So I remember the first episode, I kind of remember, actually, I remember two episodes originally from the from Star Trek, the original series. Was that one about the kind of the first federation that it turned out to be this very strange looking kid, you know? That yeah, was, that was a, the Corbomite maneuver, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good one. And then I can't think of the name, but I remember there was another one that struck out to me where there was two guys on the ship and one black, you know, the white and black faces, yeah. and it was all about racial, and it was very good. Yeah. And my father kind of explained that to me a lot. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, that was kind of got it. That got me into it, and then I kind Not of went to see the film, the original movie. And I Ooh, felt okay. extremely boring because I'd only seen Star Wars. <laughs> Do you have sense? <laughs> yeah. It was a bit too much for me being like kind of 10, you know, at the time. Yeah. But I did yeah. appreciate the idea of all the models. And so that kind of got more into that. And then again, Next Generation was a slow burner because I was kind of abroad. I was working and stuff like that. And I was no, no time for Star Trek, only time for girls and drink. So <laughs> I kinda, when I got back to Ireland in the late 90s, I was, uh, I was kind of watching Star Trek at home then. And Sky was on at the time. Sky mm. Channel. It wasn't like what we have yeah. now where it's this big heme-off. It was just like one Sky. And I think on Fridays or something and Sundays, they'd show a Star Trek episode. But then they yeah. did a great thing. They showed all the Star Trek Next Generation series every day at 6 o'clock. Yeah. This was my exact exposure. It was 5 o'clock. Mm. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So but, I used, yeah, to come home. Um... I used to come home from work, sit down and spend that one hour just watching and catching up on the Next Generation. And by then, kind of the movies had come out. So I was dating this girl. She was into science fiction as well. And we didn't, I do want to see Generations and I thought that was great. I enjoyed it because I love Malcolm McDowell as an actor. I think he was really cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there on in, I just kind of started watching all the series as they came along. And I was always kind of, I used to read a lot about Star Trek. I'd read books, you know, of the previous past and the history of this kind of, conform, you know, control, you know, divergence yeah. and all these things that were happening in the beginning of history. And that's why I like First Contact a lot because it kind of explored that. And that's yeah. when Enterprise came in around 2000. I was working in a big, huge office place, a big multinational place. And it was kind of a Star Trek group there. <laughs> I joined that. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, that we watched, we watched Enterprise a lot then. And we used to just chat about it a lot. So I, I kind of I kind of see Enterprise as kind of a bit like, um, they're like Portsmouth or something in the football. You have to follow the underdog <laughs> a little bit, you know. <laughs> you know, and sometimes they turn into a Leicester. So, you know, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was that was where I got into Enterprise. And to this day, I, like, I mean, 90, I think it was 92 episodes or something was in, in Enterprise. It was amazing, really, because nowadays you, like, for the, the shtick that it got and for the, the abuse that it got, 
uh, even though there wasn't much of it online, it was very primitive at the time. Uh, mm. It stayed for four seasons and we got like, you know, a massive amount of episodes because when you look at Discovery, I think Discovery's it's on, it's heading for the chop now. I don't think they've even come close to that amount of episodes. No. We talked so, about that when they announced the cancellation because we were like, it's very misleading to say it got five seasons, which would sound yes. like, oh, that's pretty good. No, I episodes, yeah. I'm like you. So when I look at the Enterprise, I kind of go, eh, got 90, over 90 episodes. That's a good run for any think, TV station. Any I think TV you got show 98 episodes, episodes which is yeah. so frustrating because if they'd gotten another two to get to 100, like I know. how hard would that have been? <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. But apparently the money, the money ran out like even yeah. after the, you oh, know, yeah. the, the one about the, uh, the augments. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and again, I'm kind of, I, I, that's how Star Trek. So to sum it up, that's my road in Star Trek. Now I just, I'm married with kids. So it's, it's, it's weird with competing with your children, you know, because they don't, <laughs> they don't understand or care about Star Wars or sorry about Star Trek. They just care about Star Wars, Marvel and all the TV shows that, you know, are out now at the moment and all those cartoons right. and stuff. So it's really difficult for kids. And I think Star Trek is becoming more day, more nowadays just for, kind of older people i think it's just kind of the establishment now so we'll I think talk we're very about lucky. that later yeah, <laughs> yeah we're very, we're very lucky in that we get that you know because although you know i like i'm not a fan of discovery i still watched every episode because i felt that i had to do that because i can't be a critic of it and not watch it but i really yeah. love the last series of picard and i really love strange new worlds so you know the fact that we're getting this i think we're very lucky yeah as I say, I will talk about it because there was a Star Trek show that was specifically geared at kids that was a fantastic gateway in for them. Mm -hmm. <sighs> but apparently, you know, Paramount decided it would be better to make it a tax write-off and get rid of it forever. So, yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> this will come up. Next it's, question. It's on my you ran out of time. <laughs> no, no, the next question would be, uh, if you had to pick three episodes or movies to show someone that you think represents the best of the Trek franchise, what would they be and maybe why? Uh, that's a great question. And I think the first question I would do, first one I'd probably say is, is uh, first contact. Because oh, it actually helps to explain the history and the universe of Star Trek. And you, you, it doesn't have much of a backstory either about the characters. So you don't really need to know much about them. Like if you didn't know anything about, um, if you didn't know anything about, um, let's say, um, Deep Space Nine, it wouldn't matter whether, you know, Worf was originally in the Enterprise. Yeah. He could have been just a mate. You know what I mean? For all you know. So, so like, you know, this is this is the way it was just really well written. And the acting in it was really good as well. I thought that was very, very good. So that's be the first one I'd say. And then then the Borg, the, the one I can't think of it, you'll have to help me. The first series, the two-parter, where they, they, they originally came across the Borg. Um, yeah, well, the first the first one was a one-parter. It was Q who... Yeah, that's right. But the actual two-parter one, I... I Best of both worlds. Sorry, yes, yes, you're right, guys. Sorry about that. I should have known that. I showed that to an ex-girlfriend one time who had no idea about Star Trek. And we had it on video, you know? So mm. I had it on the first video cassette. And then it just ended where he went, fire. You know? Yes. And she went, oh, what, what's going on? Turn it on. Wait, where's the next bit? You know, and I knew she was hooked then. And she hated Star Trek and Star Wars and all that stuff. But she really liked that. So that would yeah, be Best of Both Worlds, you know, the two parts. Yeah. And then the last one, I suppose, I like Enterprise. So I'd probably think about showing the one, maybe the Enterprise series where the fourth series and probably, probably, uh, you know, Divergence and, and Affliction were good. But I think, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing on this one. I'm going to have to think the Augments was good. I like that. 
that was a good episode. It was it was also I think it was directed by LeVar Burton as well. So that's really good. So that would be the three I'd show. Yeah. So that would be what Borderland, Cold Station Twelve, and the Augments. That like three parts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, I mean the Augments yeah. is a really good episode. You know, so if you, you probably have to show the other two, but I like the way it was directed and it was really put yeah. well put together. You know, I actually do like Roxanne Dawson's direction in any Star Trek. Yeah. I think it's really really good. It shows a side that you don't usually see. But yeah. for me, the Augments was a great a great episode because again, it harks back. You know, you could show, you could show, say, First Contact, and then you could also show. Um, you know, th- that that and say, look, this is kind of a, a you know, a blaze off from it. But yeah, I know the Ferrata can is great. And I do know that. I will admit that. But that would mm. be kind of something I'd save once everybody, you know, that I've kind of introduced to as an idea of Star Trek. Uh, so the big question then, what's your favorite of all of the Trek series? Oh, it's Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, it's Enterprise. If you ask me this question in three years' time, I might just say Strange New Worlds. Mm. You know, I always have cool, like, yeah. Enterprise is like, you know, the wife. <laughs> Strange <laughs> mistress. Gonna get all French here, you know, or Italian, whatever. So, so yeah. you're not gonna be showing this episode of the wife then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not comparing no there's not not this not talking about in a physical sense here, you know. But uh, no, it was it was just in terms of seasons. Yeah, that was like I really am liking Strange New Worlds. I love the character development. Yeah. I love the. I kind of think they're a bit weird about Doctor and Benga, but you know, I, I think it's getting there with them. You know, but the rest yeah. they're all spot on. I love the. Uh, I love the whole gang. I love the it's fact that he introduced them. Um, the only one I didn't like about this so far. I know we're going off traffic here, but the only one I didn't like so far is that they introduced Cap. You know, Kirk, and I don't like the guy playing that role. He's got no. Oh, I love him. Nobody I love whatsoever. Him. I think he's nailed it personally, but okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> disagreement, I, I suppose. I don't know. I think it would have been brilliant to have, you know, somebody with a bit more, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I've seen seen guys do in kind of fan made movies and they they seem to come across better. But like I said, they didn't go into it too much. So I was glad about that, you know. Yeah, I do think Strange New Worlds is another of those situations that you were talking about, though, whereby, I mean, 10 episodes a season is kind of pathetic from what we're used to. It so is, yeah. it's not going to get to 98 episodes because it's not going to run for 10 oh, seasons. Yeah. Why are you doing that, though? Is there, do you guys know that? I don't know enough about the world of, you know, all shows. I heard, all I really heard was that, like, obviously money is, is the primary thing for everything. And then <laughs> to try and keep all of the series that are running in line so that they all have 10 episodes, which, again, is weird because some of them, like Lower Decks, for example, is like a 24-minute or whatever cartoon. Yeah. And you're comparing that to, like, a 50-minute episode of live-action television. Okay. So it's it doesn't, like, it doesn't translate like for like, but they're acting like it does. Like, oh, well, we do 10 episodes right. of the cartoon series, so now we'll do 10 of the live action. And even the last season of Discovery now is going to be 10 episodes because to get it in line with everything else, which doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense, so, really. But, yeah, because yeah. I'm wondering if it's more like, you know, do they think that there is less, you know, patience of the viewer and that they're like kind of want things to come to an end or, you know, come to a closing much quicker. I don't know. It's just weird. Because, you know, Star Trek for me has always been quite a substantial series of over at least 20 yeah. episodes. Yeah. Well, Star Trek fans are used to that. And I think it's just strange yeah. that they're going kind of down the Netflix road of, you know, everything gets released at once, but it's only yeah. 10 episodes. And they're not even releasing everything at once. They're just kind of saying no. it's 10 episodes. I think that's the thing, though, the, the way people watch TV has changed. And I think mm. people, like the people that make these things, think that we think less equals, you know, more quality. Because 
this is kind of off topic but relevant. I'm currently listening to the Smallville rewatch podcast, hmm. and they keep going on and on about like, oh, if it was made today, you wouldn't have all of these crap filler episodes that aren't as good because it would be a I ten episode crap season. Episode, so. You know, but that's the thing, and it's like um, nowadays we don't do that. Like the people that made Smallville made Wednesday on Netflix, and it's like that's eight episodes, and therefore yeah. you can't have a dud because eight solid episodes, fantastic. You're running yeah. with it, you go, and it's kind of like. But that, know. you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to have ten yeah. fantastic episodes, though, is there? You know, and so cover as well. If you got, if you hit a rough spot around episode five, it's very hard to recover. Yeah, you know, like and you've, if you, especially if you've already made most of the episodes. And so I, yeah. I just think that to have dull, boring episodes in a series is better than having nothing at all. And I think most fans of most TV shows would accept that. You know, yeah. the more more is better than you know. People would love, rather have more than have less good quality episodes, especially if you can't guarantee they're good quality. Like for example, if you're not taking from a book, so if you know there's a book and a book is really well established, you know, if, you, if you're not taking from that book and you're kind of making it up as you go along, which is what the way most TV shows are, then you you are going to hit a rough patch. They they hit a rough patch with the Obi One thing, and then they couldn't quite recover from that. So mm. you know, they also hit a rough patch with um the the, the last um. You know uh, the the, the Mandalorian. Mandalorian. So, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I think it's. I think it's. 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 It's a dodgy road to take. At least if you have twenty episodes, you've got time to recover. You've got time to regroup and say, okay, let's just drop the story about your woman having two heads and let's move on. You know, it's like, and that's well, why Strange yeah. World is so popular, probably because it just clicks and ends at the episode and then we're back to earth you know it's, it's... i know we've we've debated this back and forth all the time but just to you know just, just to bring it up quickly again i think it also gives you the time if you have longer seasons to do things like you said like yeah. get to know the background characters and stuff like yeah. you don't have to have the main cast in every episode so that they can be off double bank and filming somewhere else and we can yeah. get to know some of the you know the the engineer or the helmsman that we've seen a couple of times but don't know much about give them a yeah. story you know yeah. Um, yeah. Some of the best tracks are that. If you look at the next gen episode, Lower Decks, it's barely yeah. got any of the main cast in it, and it's fantastic. You know? Great episode, yeah. And of course, inspired yeah. the Lower Decks cartoon as well. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so the last of the questions for you, mm-hmm. uh, because I think DK has probably fallen asleep over there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm loving listening to this. This is fascinating, fascinating to me. Awesome. Uh, the last question is obviously going to be relevant to the fact that we're doing Klingon themed stories, and it is mm-hmm. just: Do you have any of your uh, personal favourites that are Klingon stories? And uh, you know, how many do you have? What would you shout out as a good example of that? Of the whole episode of the Next Generation, where you know Worf's um, son is coming into the whole thing, and then he he kind of has to deal with parenthood alongside being you know your typical you know Klingon warrior. And mm. I thought that was a great episode because the kid who played the Alexander was a really good actor. Um, he had a lovely manner about him, which was kind of a combination of human and Klingon. And when he kind of went with his Klingon, you know, anger, which I think he did it with, with um, Roxana Troy, which is another great episode that mm. he was in as well. Yeah, I love those episodes because that's the thing. We're just, this is, I'm sorry, we're harking back to this again, but you wouldn't have had time to actually have really nice in-depth episodes like that if you only had 10 episodes. Yeah. So, I think it was great that it developed it because up till then, all you had Worf doing was attacking somebody and getting beaten the crap out of, right? Because there's actually, there's like memes of it, you know, and there's like clips of every single time Worf's got beaten, you know, <laughs> and up till that point, you know, he was kind of this kind of punch bag in many respects. And, you know, he's always flying off the handle. I recommend photon torpedoes, Captain, you know, and they're like, they're up against the, you know, some, some guy in a horse, you know, <laughs> and, it's like, you know? <laughs> and it's like, you know, that's the whole thing about Worf. So that, by the time it got to that season, I think they really began to develop it. 
And I like the idea of that. So I love that. That was great because, you know, Klingons up to that point were kind of seen as, you know, uh, monsters in a sense. And they were yeah. always this kind of monster look about them. And that gave them a real, um, uh, for the want of a better word, a real humanity to them. And I thought that was great, which, by the way, was kind of destroyed by discovery in immense, in immense ways. Because, you know, you, you saw cannibalism, you saw them eating bodies, you know, people, yeah. humans, which I thought was completely stupid, completely unnecessary and undid all the work that Worf did, you know, as a character actor in all of the next generation and Deep Space Nine, especially Deep Space Nine. And the other Klingon episode I really loved was when he got Kolath and all those lads back together again. They, they mm. all came back and they fought with Yadzia and they were fighting the Albino. I loved yeah. that episode. That was what brilliant. Else, yeah. You know, they were just great. You know, they were just, you know, they're kind of like real old fashioned Klingons that we all love. Yeah. That's you been know? in and out of this series. And in the end, I don't think we're doing it now. And it's probably one of the most glaring omissions of Klingon episodes. Brilliant episode. Loved it. Yeah. They all got a really good, you know, sending off. And I thought, it was yeah. yeah, I love that. That was a good episode. Yeah. Those two really stick out for me. But I do like Alexander. Yeah. I think they could have probably used the character a bit more. Unfortunately, they didn't. Yeah. But I guess as a parent, looking back on it now, I kind of see it, you know, and it is kind of weird that you just have this life and then suddenly somebody comes along and you kind of go, Jesus, how do I deal with this? <laughs> you know? So I, I'm sure, to your I'm sure parents. Of, you can live with them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people, though, who work in the military kind of looked at that episode yeah, and saw, saw, you know, similarities to the way they have to behave and the way their their life is kind of controlled in many ways. So. Yeah, I think, again, but again, you see, this is the beauty of it. You know, you can like one episode of The Next Generation and I can like an episode, and mm. it doesn't really affect the overall uh, outcome of the actual series, which I think happens when you only have a short run of, of episodes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's going to handle it for the, the hailing frequencies Thank over the um, because I knew we'd always get quite a bit out of you because you're, uh, you're always happy to talk things, Trek, which is good. Right. Um, so... The next thing would normally be the hit or miss section, and I do feel bad because, unfortunately, we're going to have to forego it this week slightly, um, which means you won't get your chance to, to be opinionated about random things. <laughs> uh, I don't like to get rid of it, but as I kind of alluded to earlier, we have had some big news this week that dropped, and DK and I, at least, are definitely going to want to address this and talk about it. So apologies. It's probably going to be a bit old news by the time this episode goes out, but it's only been a day or two since it was announced at time of recording. Uh, and it is the news about Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about this, Ken. If not, it may just be me and DK ranting. <laughs> but, um... uh, I, I haven't watched the series, but I know what you're going to talk about. So, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, you, you guys know more about it than I do, so far yeah. away. Um, well, just to give you the background, if you don't know, and I don't imagine anybody that's listening to this wouldn't know, but basically, uh, not only have Paramount announced out of nowhere after previously announcing that season two of Prodigy would go ahead and would be airing later this year, they've now decided they're cancelling the show, and not only are they cancelling it, but the existing 20 episodes of season one are being completely pulled from Paramount Plus and won't exist at all. Uh, it's an ongoing trend that keeps on happening to try and do, you know, tax saving or whatever business kind of thing that supposedly makes sense. And it sucks. Basically, it's it's terrible. And we'll get into probably all of the reasons why we believe that. Um, but yeah, suffice to say, it's not great. I mean, cancelling a show is terrible to start with. They have said on the plus side that they're going to allow the team to finish the production of season two and then shop the show around to other places to see if they may want to you know, buy it and show it because you will have at least one unaired full season that way. And then the, obviously the, uh, the first season as well. Um, unfortunately, the, the first season is only available in half form. 
to buy physically as well, which thankfully I do have because they only released the first 10 episodes. So they've never had a physical release for the second half of even season one, which again means that even of the 20 episodes that do exist and have aired, 10 of them will just cease to exist in, I think, five more days on Paramount Plus, which again, people are kicking off because this is Paramount Plus, the home of Star Trek. Find all your Star Trek in one place, except this one, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but... Yeah, and uh, DK, I will throw it over to you because we've been here before. You know what I mean? We've. <sighs> yeah, it's. I don't know. For a time after our last kind of panic-inducing episode when Discovery was cancelled, I thought maybe that we got the wrong end of the stick, and Paramount was going to treat the series with a bit more respect. But this, no, no, this this isn't it. This isn't the way to go about it. Not only is it kind of disrespectful to the fans but it's incredibly disrespectful to everybody that's worked on this on this series and i'm I'm not just singling paramount out here i mean you know you you had the same thing with uh with max when it did batgirl and infinity train scooby-doo disney's yeah. had its fair share with you know willow runaways mysterious benedict society and you know the streaming services that were supposedly going to put an end to all this kind of thing. You were supposed to have everything that you wanted there at your fingertips and it was going to make everything so much easier. All this to me is doing is encouraging piracy because that at this point is going to be the only way anybody gets to see these episodes. And I feel really bad for all the creative people that have worked on these shows because it's not like you can even list it on your resume for for want of a better word because if you go to a studio and say oh i worked on this show this show for for all intents and purposes no longer exists and it's fine for paramount to say yes we're going to shop it around to someone else but supposing no one else takes it up you know and how far does that stretch does does paramount say yeah you can broadcast it but we have the rights to release it on blu-ray but it's a tax write-off for us, so we're never going to release it on Blu-ray. You know, well, where where does the consumer stand with regards to this? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, to give to give the audience a little bit of background, and again, if there are some of you out there, oh, they're moaning again because we've we've been over this before. We had a full episode dealing with the Paramount Plus debacle when they didn't launch in the UK, and then they took Discovery off Netflix to put on Paramount Plus that we couldn't get, then get access to, and in the end, they had to resort to putting it on Pluto TV so that we had some way to watch it. You know, that was farcical enough to start with. Uh, then, of course, there was the cancellation of Discovery, which we weren't happy about. But, you know, at the end of the day, shows get cancelled. And even though they're shorter seasons, it ran for five seasons. It's had a lot of years since 2017. And it will still be there at the end of the day. That's that's the plus side. You know, if, if this was just we're going to air season two of Prodigy and it's cancelled, it would suck. I'd hate it. But at least those two seasons are still there and those fantastic episodes are still there to watch and still exist. And we might hopefully get a release that we can physically buy and own. Um, but now that's, you know, looking... I would say looking unlikely. Hopefully the whole physical release thing isn't as unlikely, but like you said, the issue more is, well, your streaming service is supposed to be the home. And like you said, like everybody's been doing this. So to give you the background, it started with Zaslav, David Zaslav at Warner Brothers, who took over and decided we need to make so many millions in tax. So we're not going to release Batgirl because it just isn't good enough and it'll lose us money. A, a move which is spectacularly backfired, as it seems, because The Flash looks like it's currently on course to be the worst performing superhero movie of all time. So kudos for that decision. You know, you scrapped the one that probably would have made you money and released the one that's going to kill you as a studio. But, you know, we're not here to criticize DC. We do that on the other podcast. 
So yeah, I mean, they started it with all that, and then as you say, the streaming services got in on the act, and Disney in particular were like, there's a, a laundry list of shows that were just removing from Disney Plus, and some of them were big shows. I mean, like Willow, I, I'm not a fan, but it's a big show, it's well known, but at the end of the day, it's not their flagship properties. No, and I'll be honest, I, I started watching Willow, and it wasn't captivating me, so I'd not gone back to it, but there were fans of it. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah, and I mean, all of the other shows you mentioned, I mean, there's going to be fans of it. Somebody would have liked it. And as you said, the idea that, and again, it sucks to keep on going on and on about this, but the idea of this corporate capitalist stupid idea of, yeah, you've made it and it was out there, but now it's better for us if we just pretend it doesn't exist and then we can claim your tax money back or whatever else. It's just, it's so offensive. And I know, you know, it's show business. It's not always about art and whatever else, but... It's just so counterintuitive to your audience, to the people that are making stuff for you. It's just so dumb. It it's doesn't a, seem like. <laughs> I think yeah. it's endemic in the in the system at the moment. I mean, it's it's you know it's an, it, it's it's not going to notice that this is happening at the same time that you know there's the writer strike going on because yeah. the writers are being treated like crap. Uh, I mean, I was reading uh, a thing earlier about the working conditions on uh, the the last animated Spider-Man movie Spider that, yeah. that, that saw all these people leave. It, these The Hollywood studios at the minute are just seeming to be treating their best and brightest as if they're part-time shift workers at McDonald's on a Saturday. And yeah. that it's not going to save the money in the long run, but yet you seem to have these studios and I'm, you know, I don't know any of these people personally, but I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. And what, what annoys me more than anything is I've been joining you on this show now for two years, right? The very first episode that we recorded together was the discussion of them removing discovery from netflix because of the whole paramount plus debacle and it ending up on pluto and yeah. in these two, those two years there has been no improvement it's just been disaster no. after disaster you had that you had the problem with discovery you had the problem with paramount clamping down on the the cons over in europe yeah i don't get what their focus is well well, even well, on a money, but on a, a smaller level, I mean, you've talked about it and we joke about it, but even on a smaller level, not understanding your audience to the point that they had that whole campaign about the starship has landed, yeah. which was just, it's corporate bullshit from people that have never watched a Trek episode in their life. You know, ships don't land, mostly. You, you know, I'm you fair of one or two. <laughs> you, could have, you could have just not done this tax write-off as Prodigy and just not spent that absurd amount of money. And I guarantee it will have been an absurd amount of money on something that was completely irrelevant to promote the franchise. I yeah. It just beggars belief sometimes. Yeah. And I will well, just like actually for a second there. I just want yeah, to just I think um I think what DK said is perfect. I think the biggest problem that this something like this does is that it just makes everybody just do a runner towards pirate watching. Mm. And you know, it just it, it kills off loyalty for a start. That's the mm -hmm. big issue. And I think the problem with the, the Star Trek franchise is that it doesn't have a Kevin Feige there. It doesn't have somebody who is a godfather who has kind of looked at what Star Trek is, what it needs, and what it should be. I mean, even, you know, we were supposed to have had Gene Bro Rodenberry, but, like, you know, Rodenberry was well gone by the time Star Trek really kind of entrenched itself in in, in pop culture. Um. Mm -hmm. So I think what it needs is is somebody to just grab a hold of the actual franchise and just kind of say, well, look, well, you know, clean off, clean off what's not making it, 
but clean it off properly. Don't just cut it and do this sort of, as you said, an injustice towards people who have invested time and invested money as well. I think a lot of people yeah. have kind of went out, bought Blu-ray DVDs for the first part and then obviously signed up, you know, and have their kids watching this sort of thing. There's a hundred yeah. reasons why they cancelled it, but they should always try and be honest with the fans. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's not even, well, first of all, to slightly counter you, I do think we kind of have that in that this is not an anti-Kurtzman rant because this isn't a creative thing. This is the corporate side of things. So it's got nothing to do with the people that make any of the shows. It's not their decisions or anything. It is literally, you know, the, the VP of Paramount and whoever, you know, corporately owns, you know, I forget. I, I don't know. I don't keep up with these things, which which friggin conglomerate currently merged with the Paramount and CBS mm. or whatever. So it's, it's the decision from them that's just like we need a tax write off. This isn't doing viewers for whatever reason, so scrap it completely. And it's just so dumb, not least because, like I said, I don't understand where the logic is. Like, what? Because we can't see metric of like who's watching what on streaming and whatever else, we don't know what they want from this show. But since announcing the cancellation and the kind of disgusting it's being removed forever, the Blu ray and DVD of season one, part one, has sold out everywhere in two days. Yeah. It's, it's not you can't get it because everybody immediately was like, well, shit, I want to own what I can if you're going to get rid of it completely. So mm -hmm. clearly there is an audience there, which suggests to me that the failure wasn't the show. It was your marketing because yeah. as soon as, you know, so as people thought, oh, there's something I can't get, but I might want to watch it sometime. Well, I then... mean, we had this discussion earlier today that I was looking up, trying to get hold of a copy and you found a copy online. That wasn't a legit copy because it had the entire series. Now I, you know, decided not to do it because I'd rather own a legit yeah. copy. But yeah. there's going to be many people out there who aren't, who don't have as many qualms as I do, yeah. who are just going to jump at that. Especially now, if it seems, you know, as much as they're wanting a release of the second ten episodes, there's no guarantee that they're going to get one. Yeah, I will say that the, the plus side of that kind of is now that like one of the creatives that we've we've kind of talked to online uh, Aaron Walky was the one that posted about you know I've, I've confirmed it's all sold out everywhere and keep going because the more you sell of these kinds of things the more chance there is that you get that second half released and the mm -hmm. more chance there is that somebody picks up the show because and he used the example that I'll kind of copy here and say Futurama has been saved like three times now just because the DVD sales are astonishing so even though it gets cancelled you know, it's off air for a few years. Then some other network picks it up because they're like, crap, people are watching this still. You know, but, so, but it's like you said, you can understand the show gets cancelled. Shows get cancelled all the time. It's yeah. the erasure of what yeah. is there. That's what is... Especially when, it, especially when it is so good because... And again, you know, I'm not. I'm probably not going to convince anybody to watch it that hasn't decided to watch it by now. But we've said it before, and I'm not exaggerating. This is not just me saying, you know, talking out of my butt or whatever. It is by far the best current Star Trek show that was currently on the air. It's the one that I'd be most gutted to lose, and I'm most gutted to lose because it is the. Like, I know everyone's raving about Picard season three. Fair play, you know. Have at you, love it. You can stick your Picard season three for me. I'd, I'd care much less about losing that than I do about losing this first season of Prodigy. It's that good. You know, there are people that didn't like the new stuff that are saying it's the only thing that's got a right to call itself the Star Trek name. I don't agree with that line of thinking. I don't want to compete it against other things, but I think it's very telling that people are saying that. And on top of being that level of Star Trek, that you know, it moved us. I mean, we have a review that I'll link to the episode Timer Mock, where we both rated it five out of five. We were moved to almost tears, you know, 
you've got to get past the fact, and I, I'm guilty of it as well. I took one look at the the opening promotion for it and was like, this looks like a generic Nickelodeon kids show. I don't like the animation style because of it and whatnot, and, oh, it's going to be terrible. And then I watched the show and was like, shut me up. This is fantastic. This is Trek from people that understand Trek that are writing Trek stories, and they're doing it in a way that adults are able to sit down with their kids and introduce them to Star Trek. And the number of people on social media that came out and said, this is even more disgusting because it's the only Trek show that I sit and watch with my kids, or it's the show that got my kids interested in science, or it's the show that got my kids asking, ooh, what is that Star Trek thing that you always watch with me and daddy? Can we watch more of it with you? Because we like this. So not only are you getting rid of a show that's you know popular, and a lot of people care about, you're also literally cutting off a way into the franchise. Yeah, it's but... baffling to me because I know we, you know, I've, I've, you know, broadcast that Disney's done the same thing. But mm. when it comes to its big sellers, like something like Star Wars, yeah. it's going the opposite way with that franchise. It's introducing this, you know, this young Jedi thing. You would yeah. have thought that someone, someone at Paramount, at higher up, would have the common sense to say, this is actually a gateway into the show. This is how we retain fans. But it again, it just it's one of these corporate decisions that just leave me baffled. Yeah, I would it's, I would put it alongside. I mean, I never got into Clone Wars at the start. Uh, the the three the three prequels kind of put me off anything to yeah. do with Star Wars for a while. But yeah. when Rebels came along, I really got into that, and that just like Prodigy was marketed at a lower rate age range. But they oh, did yeah. so well. That they're now basing a live action series on continuing the storyline they brought up in that cartoon. So I, I just I love the Clone Wars. Like my my ten year old loves it. There are like so many episodes that I just actually don't have time to watch them, right? But she just loves them mostly because they start like Star Trek. They end and you know when the when the episode ends, that storyline ends. So it doesn't require a huge amount of commitment. Yeah, and you know that's what she likes as well. Um, now, you know, there are stuff out there, as you said, there's Rebels and all that, and then there's the new stuff that's coming out with the shorts that are designed by other, you know, animation companies and so on. But we haven't even got around to watch them because there's so much of it. But, yeah, yeah with Star Trek, you could kind of, they kind of had a head start because they didn't have 10 or 15 TV shows or cartoon shows that were competing with it. So, yeah, yeah. it's very strange that they just didn't invest in it. But we see this a lot, don't we? I mean, when I watch Netflix, when I see something on Netflix and I know it's like two or three years old, I see season one and season two, I go and check to see if it's cancelled before yeah. I invest all those yeah. hours. Yeah. And that's but bad for just, TV. Then. That's bad for it, TV. Yeah, not, not to spend too long on this, but that was another point I was going to bring up is that doing this is also going to completely F up the franchise because now yeah. they're trying to launch... Fair enough, they've got this whole Section 31 TV movie. That's a whole other thing. We're not going to address that. But they're trying to launch this Starfleet Academy show. Why should mm -hmm. I watch that now if there's every chance that it's going to get one season, then you're going to remove it from existence? Yeah, like Ken was saying, I've, I've done this so many times with Netflix. They've cancelled so many shows. You get invested in the characters. You get invested in the, in the storylines, and they just cancel it. Nowadays, like Ken, when someone rants, and, or I get a friend that recommends a show on Netflix, the first thing I do is go and see if it's still running or if it's got a complete storyline because half yeah. of the time it's not even worth bothering with. Yeah, hundred percent. I will say though, I mean, at least in that, at least in that situation, what's already been made is still there. And in the no, case of true. Prodigy, I mean, if if Prodigy season one was going to be all there was, even though they are finishing making season two, let's say for argument's sake they decided not to carry on with it. Season two was going to get ash canned. It might get released, it might not, but we've got series one and those twenty episodes are there. Those 20 episodes are a perfect story. They even yeah. ended it at a point where you can happily be like, I'm, I'm happy with that. I love what you did there. That gave me a conclusion where you can go on to the next chapter of the story. But equally, 
that's a conclusion. And yeah. it's cheaper to make as well than TV shows. So it's not like yeah. they're investing a huge well, amount of money that's being thrown out the door. That's, that's the other thing because they, they like I said, like you said, a lot of the writers and people that work on it have said the same thing. Because it's animation, they're also treated worse than the people that make live action and stuff because they're treated mm -hmm. like crap because it's seen as secondary or not as good or whatever else. Even though writing wise, it's like I said, I, I'm not exaggerating. It's the best current. It, is, it, is. it really is. The Prodigy episodes, if you if you do sit down and watch them, are clearly people that loved, especially the original series and Voyager. They're people that got the messages of those things, and I don't mean when I say it, when I say it's proper Trek, that will make a lot of people sort of turn off and be like, "Oh, so it's you know sitting around a table doing diplomatic stuff." No, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't mean that. It's still action packed and it's great, but it's also it's about heart and it's about finding your place and family. And um, again, Aaron Walkie posted the the writers board for the season on Twitter and was like, we don't normally share the creative process, but this is the board and it had, you know, all these other questions we're going to address. And the central thing was the theme of season one, hope is a weapon. And I was like, that's Star Trek in four yeah. words. You know what I mean? And, and mm -hmm. yeah, and yet you're just thinking to yourself, nah, just get rid of it. Nobody's watching. They are. The sad, the sad <laughs> thing is that all the shows that are getting cancelled, it's where the very franchise itself is looking towards the future. Now, yeah, Strange New Worlds is great and all, but you are really going back as a prequel. Lower yeah. Decks, it's, you know, it's kind of in that next generation era. Prodigy was, you know, Picard's finished now. There's, who knows where this legacy series is going to be, if at all. The uh, And now they've got rid of Pro uh, Prodigy. So it, it's kind of navel-gazing. It's, it's taking Star Trek to a period of navel-gazing, and I really don't think it needs to be there. Yeah, and I will say I, I would happily take Prodigy over Legacy. I know I'm probably alone on that. A lot of people did love that Picard season three, but I just I'm not optimistic that would be great. And it bugs me no end that a lot of people that aren't watching Prodigy don't realize that it is it is a lot of the stuff they probably want from Star Trek Legacy. If you want to know what happened to like Janeway and Chakotay after Voyager, watch Prodigy. The amount of people that were like, "Oh, why did Janeway not show up in Picard season three? It would have been cool for her to have a moment with Seven of Nine and stuff." Because Janeway's doing brilliant stuff twice over on Prodigy, the hologram version and the real version. Just because it's animated, it's still Kate Mulgrew, and she's got better writing than ninety percent of the Voyager episodes. So watch the show, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I will end this quickly by saying, you know, do watch Prodigy. I, I probably won't convince you, but do. I, I'm serious. While please. you can. <laughs> While you can, do try and watch it if you if you can. It's probably gone from Paramount Plus by this point. If you can get access to that official episodes 1 to 10 uh, on DVD or Blu-ray, please do. I can't condone piracy. I'm also not going to sit here and say don't do it if it's the only way to watch it. Uh, make of that what you will. But, um, I, you know, I will share links to the, the Save Star Trek Prodigy hashtag that's going around. There's a petition and stuff. I, I genuinely care about this in, in a way I haven't about anything for a while. I mean, we made the rant video about Discovery being cancelled, and then I moved on after about a week. This this really sticks in my craw. This bugs me no end because it's a special show, and it means a heck of a lot to me. And, yeah, like I said, it would be, it would be one thing to say it's cancelled, but we'll release them all, and you can have those 10, those 20 episodes of beautiful television that will be there. People can even discover them later or whatever. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm still hopeful that like some of the people behind the show are saying, it's not the end. We're shopping it around. It could still happen. Hope is the theme of the show. So we're doing our best. We're not going to give up. And yeah, hopefully we're going to get that second half of the season released because everything's selling out. Hopefully some place will see the loyalty that it's got and buy it 
whether it be Netflix or I'd be I don't interested know, to Netflix. know what those are Nickelodeon are thinking about all this. Well, they didn't want it. That's the thing. People are saying, well, you're doomed because Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon, who make the show, both don't want it. Don't want the yeah. expense of making it and don't want it. And it's kind of like, well, all right, you say that. But at the end of the day, what you have is a situation where they're, they're paying to finish season two. So you're going to have 40 episodes, two seasons, that there's a very strong audience for, that you don't have to pay any production costs for. You just buy, put on your service, and you'd be a hero to the... The most rabid loyal fan base as proven for the last 60 odd years in the universe you know so you've got to think somebody would be smart enough to snap it up and, and see that and if nothing else like i said people are voting with their wallets they are buying out the, the things that do currently exist and yeah hopefully good news will be coming i'll keep you updated if and when we hear anything in the meantime please watch it if you haven't please do support the campaigns trust me there's some fantastic stuff if you have a way to find those first 10. I've said this to people that didn't want to watch the show, but you can skip straight to the episode we reviewed, Time Amok, which I'll also link in the description. Uh, it's episode eight of the show, but you don't really need, you know, backstory or whatever or such. And it is, it's a top five. It's arguably a top three episode of the entire franchise, um, along with another episode, which won't exist after a few days, which was called All the World's a Stage, which was in the second batch of episodes that was released, which I really hope you know, doesn't disappear from existence because I also equally love that and it's another top five trek. But yeah, do watch Prodigy if you haven't. If, if you're put off by the look of it, trust me, just give it a go, stick with it and uh, let's help to save another trek show from cancellation because after all, ever since 1969, it is what we bloody do. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and relax. Any other, any final thoughts from either of you on that then now that I've ranted? <laughs> no, I think we've, I think we've pretty much covered it. Paramount's on notice. Yeah, just one more thing, if I can just say, I don't think a European-based uh, streaming service or any production company is going to take it over. So, as you said, when Netflix is is, you know, Netflix has kind of got a lot of stuff going on. I don't see them taking it either. Maybe somebody like Amazon will pull it in. Well, so, Amazon is a good with, yeah with the yeah they did it with the um what you call it the uh, the expanse. So anything's possible. Well, Amazon also have the they did have the rights exclusively, and then when Paramount Plus launched, they mm -hmm. now have the core rights to Picard, which is still on there, but obviously that's finished. Yeah. And Lower Decks, so there's a chance Amazon might, like, yeah. if they have any sense, pick it up and be like, well, not only is this a Trek series, but it's the exclusive home of this one. So yeah, you know. do that as well. I mean, they they'd spend more money in the toilet rolls than they would, you know, put that yeah. back on thing, you know. So precisely, I mean, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so hopefully we'll see what comes of that, but do check out the description for any more information, and we'll move on from that back to our regularly scheduled programming, our traditional podcast, so we'll <clears throat> quickly bring the mood back up and say that we are going to begin our analysis of these episodes. So... As I mentioned, these episodes, Affliction and Divergence, an annoying two-part story with two different titles, as occasionally happens and then sometimes doesn't, even within the, first, the same season. I know this uh, season four has like In a Mirror Darkly parts one and two, and then it has episodes like this that are like clearly a two-parter but different titles. Anyway, different nitpick, kill the jewel gif. So, <laughs> but with that in mind, uh, I normally go into a little bit of behind-the-scenes information, uh, if you don't mind, before we start reviewing the episode. Uh, before I do that, though, because I, I, I have been ranting for quite a while, so to give you guys a chance to jump in first, do you have any initial spoiler-free thoughts on this episode or thoughts that you had before it aired or going into it? Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was a great um, episode for bringing in 
stuff that we know about that exists in the universe and confirming it within this timeline. And then also, you know, introducing uh, some cool acting uh, and some really yeah. poor acting, which I'll talk about later. Fair enough. What about you, DK? Uh, I kind of see it as there. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to have a range of views potentially then, but yeah, I'll jump into the behind the scenes because I have something very interesting this week because I sometimes go to like a various sources, but one of them that I go to is Memory Alpha to find out what's been said about the episodes, not so much for information, but just to see critical response and the like. And one of the members of Memory Alpha is uh, the writer Michael Sussman, who actually wrote the episode teleplay for Affliction and was on the Enterprise writing staff. So this information comes directly from him. Uh, so yeah, suffice to say, this is all straight from the horse's mouth when I tell you that this storyline seen in these episodes was intended to explain, obviously, why the original series Klingons had a more human appearance and later Klingons did not. Excuse me. The writers also hoped that the two-parter would shed some light on the change in the Klingons' temperament and disposition between the original series and Next Generation eras, which DK and I did briefly talk about during our Errand of Mercy review, so... Yeah. Um, for years, unofficial explanations had appeared in Trek literature to explain the difference between the Klingons from the 60s series and those in later productions. The idea of genetic engineering was explored heavily in several publications licensed by Paramount Pictures, among them Fassa's Star Trek The Role-Playing Game, several pocket books novels such as Rules of Engagement, and the reference book The Worlds of the Federation by author Shane Johnson. These works indicated that the Klingons, in inverted commas, encountered during the original series era were Klingon human fusions, Quote, intentionally created to make infiltration into Federation space easier. The true nature of Klingons was revealed during the emergency transmission of the IKS AMR, as depicted at the start of Star Trek The Motion Picture, and that caused the Federation to radically reevaluate its assessment of the Klingons' scientific capabilities. Whew. In addition to the fusion explanation, the producers of Star Trek Enterprise had heard many pitches over the years for ultimately never produced stories aimed at explaining the change in the Klingon appearance. Additional theories included that the Klingons seen during the original series were from another race than those of later eras, and also that some sort of disease was to blame. The Enterprise writing staff mirrored the fan community, oh boy, in that some felt it might be fun to account for the change, and others thought it was probably best to ignore the entire situation. The topic came up again when the writer Manny Koto was named showrunner during the series' fourth season. At first, the producers were only interested in a story with one or more ridgeless Klingons who'd infiltrated Starfleet for the purpose of intelligence gathering. <clears throat> it was thought the story might involve a surgically altered Klingon operative aboard Enterprise, someone like Arne Darwin a century later. Around this time, the writing staff had recently concluded the three-part Augment Crisis arc that we addressed earlier. Uh, it occurred to them that some of the genetically engineered embryos might have survived the destruction of the Bird of Prey, and that the Klingons might use these embryos to bioengineer their own version of Klingon Supermen. This seemed to be a way into a story dealing with the origin of human-like Klingons. More to the point, the Enterprise producers thought it was simply too cool of an idea to reveal that Kang, Koloth, Kor, and other original series Klingons may have had the DNA of Khan inside them. Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, while some fans clamoured for an explanation for the smooth forehead Klingons, uh, Michael Sussman himself hoped to do more, account for the apparent change in Klingon culture between the 23rd and 24th centuries. As depicted in the first Trek series, Klingons were notoriously savage, crafty, and at times cowardly putting this characterization at odds with the more noble, honorable Klingons that are seen in Next Gen. The minor neural reordering noted by Flocks in this episode was intended to suggest that the augmented Klingons were not only cursed with a more human appearance, but they also inherited many human weaknesses as well. In the episode Divergence, the female Laneth, newly infected by the augment virus, claimed that she, quote, felt fear for the first time since I was a child. Uh, her fellow augmented warriors had become like humans, weak, cowardly. 
The Enterprise writer's explanation for the change in the Klingons did not and could not satisfy every Trek fan. Gene Roddenberry himself reportedly believed any explanation was unnecessary. The makeup scene in the films and later series would have been too expensive during the 60s. Roddenberry felt it best to simply imagine that Klingons always had ridges, although this preference was officially contradicted by canon when the change was noted by the DS9 crew in Trials and Tribulations, as we know. So, <laughs> now that you guys have heard all of that in, in, intensive amount of information from the uh, the writer or the co-writer of one of the episodes, any thoughts on that now? Uh, I thought it was um, it was a good idea. As they said, it was too cool to lose. But uh, I think, in terms of you know having to do it, th that was unnecessary. I mean, most people can just suspend disbelief on it you know when it comes to stuff like this because it's a little bit like you know you're looking at the bridge of the enterprise in strange new worlds and then you look at the bridge that scotty had in the next generation and you kind of go what's going on here so yeah, you, you know wet track fans a lot of people can't hand weird things away that look different <laughs> yeah well you see this is the thing i've kind of said this before star trek has done a very poor job when you compare it say to star wars because star wars didn't go into too much detail in what's in front of them when they're flying a ship so you know they kind of stood up the test of time a little bit, particularly uniforms and, and dress senses kind of stood the test of time where Star, Star Trek hasn't done so well. So it's a little bit of a battle that they have to have all the time. I mean, even when you look back, say, on the uh, the discovery thing where they try to really develop the Klingon look, it, it just backfired on them. So I think that leave best alone is probably a good idea. But I do like this episode for a lot of other reasons. So, you know, so we can probably go into that yeah. later. It is weird, and it's worth mentioning that we can now sort of address. Apologies to DK if this is a slight spoiler, but we know that Strange New Worlds has completely went back to, weirdly, the kind of next generation Klingon design, which doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense because it's a sequel to Discovery and a prequel to the original series, neither of which use that makeup. So you've mm. kind of, you've corrected it and created another problem, <laughs> which seems like an odd choice, but okay, <laughs> you know. Um, mm. I don't mind. It looks fine, and I'm one of the few people that can actually sort of I don't, I mean, I care about visual canon. I'm a nerd for ships and I like knowing where everything is and stuff. But at the same time, like you kind of were hinting at there, Ken, I can look at Strange New Worlds and think, yeah, it's the same enterprise that just looks different. You know, whatever, it's really the same thing. And I know there are some sources, including, much as I love, you know, uh, the people that run it, Ex Astris, Scientia, the Starship database, mm -hmm. that are so, so vehemently anti the new stuff that they're like, it has to be a reboot because visually there's no way to reconcile it with canon. And I'm just kind of like, well, there is. It's called imagination. Get over it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if the quality of the show is good and it's well written and well produced and well directed, I mean, you just kind of forget about them things really quickly. You can't do anything. You're, you're going to win. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. But as I yeah. said, it was a good idea, though. I think of all the kind of explanations that they, they kind of have had a go at about this, I thought this one was the most interesting. And as I said, yeah. it, was good, it was good actors in the actual episode. Yeah. Um, you know, James Avery and so on. Put a bit yeah. of so Uncle Phil himself, <laughs> the voice of Shredder, the, the, the legend, RIP, <laughs> big man. Yeah. But yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, yeah. Well, DK, do you have anything before I jump into the, the sections? I was I was very much a child of the uh, the faster role playing game. <laughs> oh, so, well, there's been several of those chiming in on the uh, behind the scenes section of the yeah. So I was kind section. of you know the the Klingon hybrid type human hybrid type things. But back then we didn't even have next generation, so you know we didn't expect any of this bullshit to come up. Uh, it's as you both you know said. It's just a suspension of disbelief. I, I never saw it as anything that needed addressing. And as a result, as much as, you know, 
it's it's a decent enough story. I just think it's kind of unnecessary. There's more to the story than that, though, as I kind of was saying off air. Oh, yeah. It's unfair to to reduce the entire story to that plot because there's a lot in these episodes. There is, there is. But when you vehemently dislike another of the plots, you know, you've got to latch on to whatever, if you, whatever you can. Yeah, I see. Fair enough. Um, well, yeah, just to, to clue in the audience, if you are new here or you're unfamiliar, the way that we do our reviews is to break it down into sections that are like writing and plot, uh, direction, acting, sound and uh, music special effects and anything else other basically uh so and then we'll as i say go into our favorite parts of the episode and uh, give our conclusions so the first thing would be the general writing and plot and we've already basically started touching on this because ken's given his thoughts but the first thing that i had down for that is that obviously this is primarily the klingon makeup explanation episode so did we need it do you like it and do you think it's at least Amusing that it's kind of a combination of all the theories that were posited in Trials and Tribulations, which always kind of tickled me <laughs> that it was, it's literally everything they said combined. And do you think it's kind of cool that at least it links to the Augment story from earlier in the season and back to Khan? And uh, DK, I'll come to you first. I think the writing is very clever and I think they, they handled it really well. I yeah. think the writing on this, and that if, if it had not been a great storyline and it was just there to prop up, you know, one discrepancy, then it would have failed miserably. But there is a good story underlying it. Yeah. And what do you think about the way that it links back to the Augment stories from earlier in Season 4 and thus back to, like, Khan and, and all that? I, I enjoyed it. I I mean, I've always been a fan of Enterprise. I even liked it in, you know, Season 1 and 2. But it was great stuff when Manny Carter came in. And, uh, mm. yeah, I appreciate all these, like, little arcs that they did throughout the fourth season. And it was nice to see him refer back to that one. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, do you have any other thoughts, Ken, besides what we've uh, talked about? Yeah, I mean, constantly Enterprise gets bashed over the head for all the way it dress, addressed canon. And the problem with that show is that it had a lot of canon to address. So, you yeah. know, it was very hard to pick what could be pleasing to the fans and what couldn't be pleasing to the fans. So if you're going to uh, introduce other aspects, which were which we talk about um, in that those episodes, for example, the idea that... Um, there was a love interest developing between um, you know, the crew and so on. And there's just loads going on in the episode. So I think they knew that if they were going to go with this idea of, you know, it's how the Klingons got got, you know, human looking in, in the Kirk episodes, you have to kind of notice that it's it's not as it's not all about that. And I think they knew that as well, because if they just went with that, it wouldn't it would fall flat in its face. So they introduced yeah. a lot of, you know, secret organizations. I mean, you know, and oh. Lieutenant Reed, his commitments elsewhere. I thought they were all good. So it filled the show. The episodes were full. You know, they were actually, there was, you, you had to keep your eye on it. You'd miss something, you know? And then, of course, there's the introdu introduction of the Columbia as well, which was, yeah. which is, I thought was brilliant because eventually, finally, you got to see that, you know, Earth is not protected by one starship, which happens to be 20 light years away. So, you know, it was good to see that. We've seen so others. Thought, yeah. <laughs> You wouldn't, you wouldn't, as much as I like those ships, I wouldn't have them in a firefight. <laughs> so, <laughs> what the, the uh, what's it called? It? The Warp Delta and the Sarajevo Warp and the Intrepid? Yeah. You don't think they would yeah. be? <laughs> I don't know. They're nice. Oh, they were pretty crap looking, to be fair. Like, yeah. They were my favorites, okay. but I wouldn't trust them in a scrap. You know? No, I don't think they were designed to be uh, Earth Defense Force, mm -hmm. as you said. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought the writing kinda... was very good. The writing was very rich. It was in-depth. And as much as they tried to do it, they obviously looked at that Deep Space Nine episode and they said, okay, let's pull lots of stuff from that one scene 
you know, and yeah. um, it was good because I liked the way Worf in that scene in, Reg- in the DS9 episode said, we don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we just don't discuss like, it with outsiders, which now yeah, yeah, and makes yeah. so much more sense because of course it does, yeah. It's it ashamed, does, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a really good, it's a really good connection to that to that episode, you know. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but mm-hmm. I noticed in the audience response when we get to it that a lot of people are taking this episode as a chance to shit on Discovery again. Because mm-hmm. uh they oh they didn't they ignored it and they went back and did any, even something else and something weirder and worse. <laughs> And like I said, Strange New Worlds has kind of equally done arguably the wrong thing for canon, but because it's the more recognizable design, everyone's fine with it and whatever. So where do you stand mm. with regards to the other prequels that followed Enterprise, which seem to have weirdly ignored this story? Are you talking to me or DK? Oh, either of you, either either or, yeah. I'll let you go first, Ken. Well, look, I mean, again, I, I'm, I don't really think about those things too much. I just enjoy watching these series and I kind of like the idea that, um, you know, it's not just about Captain Archer and that you are seeing, uh, you know, and as well, we saw another side of the Klingon civilization in the way they treat medical yeah, doctors and so on mm. and people from the arts. And that was kind of uh, changing as well by the time we got to the next generation um where you know there was a lot more thing con- connections with artists artistic works and you know there was poets and stuff mentioned and the whole thing about Kales and that kind of thing you know so uh, yeah I, I i'm okay with the whole that whole side of it. it it's not you know people can they can say what they like really but at the end of the day the the episode is not a bad episode and neither is the following one divergence they really link well and there's a cliffhanger as well in between and you know it just it does the job pretty well for me it's not the best enterprise um two-parter you know but it's definitely a good one and i think manny Coto really really looked at what happened in the previous seasons and said we have to do something that's a bit more energetic and a bit more passionate and all of the episodes bar one or two in that final series i thought were creme de la creme above anything that they'd done before with Enterprise. It was just a shame yeah, they didn't yeah. get season five because I think season five would have probably led to six and seven, you know, because they were no doubt going to deal with the Romulan war and that kind of thing. And, you know, it's it's a, it's just a shame because definitely with Manny Kyoto at the helm, it was definitely a big improvement. Yeah. I, I won't mention Manny Kyoto's political allegiances that have emerged since, unfortunately. Just, oh, God, really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> anyway. People get old. I despair. Well, this is this is the you know the people that understand Star Trek also simultaneously just do not seem to understand it. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, don't just look it up for yourselves. <laughs> so yeah, DK, what about you? Because like I said, it, it's more it's not so much a judgment on this episode, but more that like it bugs me a little bit that people are using it to shit on Discovery for not following on from it when in actual fact. It, like you said, this didn't exist, and people were kind of fine with the cool Klingons just looking different thing, and then they were fine with it now that it did exist, or some people didn't like it, and then now they're using it its existence to attack something else that changes the makeup and stuff. And it's kind of like you, you always have passionate fans, and regardless of what fandom, and unfortunately, some passion can go to extremes. It's yeah. just with the social media, you hear a lot more of it. It's always going to be a problem when you do a prequel. I mean. But it, it can be something as big as the appearance of Klingons, but you can have, you know, there's a, a misplaced panel yeah. on one side of the ship that so, someone somewhere is going to notice and they're going to haul someone over the coals for it regardless. Yeah. Well, and, we've seen, yeah, a few times. I mean, look at, the, they cast a black actor as Robert April and people were like, the cartoon character wasn't black. Gotcha. Yeah, he was also cartoon. <laughs> and it's, it's just, 
I mean, I hate to break out the Joel gif again, but it, it is just a show. You really should just relax. I mean, when yeah. it comes to Discovery, I wasn't happy what they did with the Klingons. No, personally, likewise, I, but, I think. Yeah. but now with, with hindsight, it just kind of merges into this hazy memory that Klingons were involved. And I'm happy with that. I can still watch it and not, you know, want to kick my TV screen in or go out and lambast on creative for a decision that they personally want to make. I just, life is too short to be getting so worked up about such minutiae. Yeah. And 100%. to be clear, it's not—it's not that I don't care. I'm kind of with Ken in that I—I I take issue with the way the Klingons were represented on a social level because they were a lot more monstrous and a lot more kind of extreme than I liked, at least in that first season. Oh but gosh, certainly, yeah. yeah. But certainly, like attacking the makeup. Because, and at this, oh, at this point, I mean, it was what 2017. Yeah. You know, you're six years out. You should not be still angry over that. Yeah, well, yeah, people still are. But anyway, um, like I said, I didn't want to spend too much time on that because there's other stuff. And well, I can personally that, get just, You know, when I get into an argument online with somebody about Last Jedi, I'm all there. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, I, I, there are things in this episode to me, though, and again, maybe this is just me being an uber nerd, but there's things that let me rectify the Discovery and Strange New World stuff because they even make a point of saying at the end of the episode, oh, things like cranial reconstruction are suddenly going to become very popular. So, like... Maybe the Discovery Klingons are an attempt to genetically bring back the ridges that just effed up. And so Did they look you know really something? weird. You I know? think back, going back to that, that FASA Klingon hybrid kind of thing, yeah. I think when you rely on headcanon, you can explain anything. And you know this because you're a Doctor Who fan, for God's sake. You can rely on headcanon <laughs> to explain oh, yes. away pretty much anything. It's when a creative goes will do it this way and sets it down in concrete, then you get a subsection of fans that didn't, that see that it wasn't done in the way that their own headcanon allows it, and they take umbrage with that. Mm. Yeah. And I'm a weird fan because I simultaneously love when episodes like this come around, which do give you that explanation, and it's kind of like, yay, I can... I can reconcile that now. It's cool, awesome. But equally, if this episode had never happened, I could also very much just go with Gene Roddenberry's thing of like, look, just pretend they always looked like that. We just couldn't yeah. afford it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. <laughs> absolutely, 100%. Like, I mean, they, they've done some bad things, like, you know, especially in Voyager, where they we suddenly realized that there was a dinosaur civil race that's kind of, <laughs> took its, you know, it's now, in, you know, huge, making massive ships in, in, in space. Well, and then, yeah. you know, Janeway becoming a, an amphibian for a few hours. I mean, look, you know, these things, you just pass them by. And I think the yeah. the, 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 uh, the benefit of it is, is like what we spoke before, is that there are 92 episodes for you to like from enterprise you know you can if this one is rubbish well then that's fine i'm sure there's something else you like there yeah and this is the whole idea i know what you're saying i agree with you 100 if they hadn't have done affliction or divergence it wouldn't have made a difference really overall but i thought it was interesting i enjoyed it and as i said he introduced a lot of other aspects which you know for me yeah. were very exciting that actually leads me neatly on to the next thing because the next mm -hmm. thing i was going to bring up is that obviously if you don't like this Klingon plot, you know, that's fair enough. You're, you're entitled to your opinion. But there's other things in the episode as well. And a lot of it is the continuing things from the rest of season four. So, you know, you've got the, the launch of Columbia that you've mentioned. We, we'd already seen it, but this is the official launch. We've mm -hmm. met Captain Hernandez. We see her. We know that Trip is leaving. Uh, if you haven't seen the rest of the episodes, you wouldn't know it. But if you have, you know that Trip's leaving despite his protestations because he's uncomfortable. He's developed feelings for T'Pol. She's agreed to get married to this, you know, button-down stoic Vulcan yeah. dude, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's references back to 
Flox was attacked in the start of season four for being an alien. They quickly yeah. referenced that. So if you'd seen that episode, it's a nice bit of continuity. And even Archer saying, you know, I can guide you through the mind meld because I had Surax Catra in my head. Again, clueless if you hadn't seen the previous episodes, yeah. but it yeah. doesn't bog down bog down what's here. So do you guys kind of appreciate all of those kind of links back and those references? Or, um, yeah, the way they kind of tied all these serialized plots? Because, again, we've talked at length about how people always criticize, oh, the older pre-2017 treks were always story of the week and then you know return to normal at the end of it and every time i'm reviewing these episodes this season it happened with redemption and it's happened again here i'm like do you know what there's an awful lot of serialization of stories that's there i mean you don't need to know the other ones but if you do it's no, really rewarding you know <laughs> i feel kind of doing tenuous links and i've never bought into this episode of the week nonsense they were obviously doing it in deep space nine they were doing it on this. They did it for want of a better term to, you know, success on Voyager. I, I just, uh, it might not have, as we were, you know, talking about earlier, you might have got a lot more episodes in a season that didn't draw your attention to it as much. Yeah. But uh, it's it's always been that. And I love these little references because nobody, you know, nobody forgets where they are. Well, I mean, I, I forget where I am from week to week. But no one else. <laughs> you know, doesn't allude to a, a an event from last week or... Well, especially when it's something huge like that. Like, Archer's not going to just suddenly forget that he held, you know, the, the soul of the first Vulcan a few exactly. weeks back. <laughs> so. You know what I mean? So I, I, I love all this stuff. I love ARC TV, you know, and yeah. it, it doesn't have to be pushed in your face all the time and say, you know, every single episode's about the ARC. But you are going to refer to previous events. Yeah. Exactly. I think they. I think they kind of... In, when all of those things popped up in these two episodes, they were briefly explained in a little sense. You know, the yeah. way he said, well, you know, I had his catcher in my head for a few weeks. You know, if you're, if you're remotely interested in Star Trek, you know what a catcher is. And if you're remotely yeah. interested in what he just said and you haven't seen the episodes, well, then you just need to go back and watch them. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's enough that you would, if you're interested, you would go and seek them out. And it, yeah. I, liken it to, I liken it to what happens in comic books where you'll have like an event referenced and then a little asterisk and at the bottom it'll say like, Go to issue one five one to see yeah. the events play out or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I like the whole idea where they introduced these things. I I thought it was you know obviously they were going to develop on the relationship between Tucker and Paul uh, for season five. You know, and they I'm not sure. I wonder I wonder when they did that last scene when she kissed him. I wonder if they knew that the shit the series was cancelled. Maybe guys, you know that. But Apparently because... not. They they found out during the filming of In a Mirror Darkly. Yeah. Okay, that that, um, that that looked a little rushed, I had to say. That mm. actual whole, you know, scene and the whole kind of development throughout the two series, the two episodes, particularly where they were daydreaming and that kind of stuff, which I thought was a bit strange. But anyway, um, yeah. that whole thing was, was rushed. Um, I and think it was more that, like, on a TV basis, people... A lot of people tend to think, oh, you can't get your couples together because will they, won't they can sustain a show. And it could in the 80s. I mean, if you look at Moonlighting or Cheers or whatever else. Yeah, but yeah, audiences yeah. nowadays just aren't going to stand for that crap. They're not yeah. going to sit with you, you know, oh, will they, won't they get together? Will they pass in the night? What other complication is there? So I think it was more that they were aware that the audience at this point, certainly I was just thinking, shit, I'll get off the pot, you know, either get together yeah. or break up. Yeah. But decide one way or the other. <laughs> Who wouldn't? You know what I mean? Like, let's be honest, you know, I don't know, but an Irish lad would be moving in far quicker than what was going on there. So I don't know whether he had this sudden <laughs> charm thing going on with him. But, uh, you know, Irish lads would have been in there like Flynn, you know. And, yeah. uh, and the other thing I really liked about that episodes was that she kind of made a joke. You remember towards the end of the episode, and they were like looking at each other as if say, oh, 
shit, there's more of her in you than you think. You know, and that was good. I thought that was good as well because there was a kind of a developing there where yeah. And you saw actually in the first scene in that, you know, the travesty that was the last these are the voyages, to Paul's much more kind of down to earth and talkative. She's not so sticky at all. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that was kind of the beginning of that, I thought. But yeah, it was it's good to see that. And then of course, you know, we we also got to see um kind of a side of lieutenant reed that we'd never saw before because he unfortunately this, you know tell you how chaps walks away and all that sort of stuff you know he even mentions yeah. it you know your father was in the navy and all that kind of stuff but to see that he yeah. was in this sneaky sneaky organization that section 31 and you know it's like kind of that was Boy. great i like that <laughs> i like the fact that oh you're on your own on that one <laughs> you had the same uniforms though as well as the guy you know from from d space nine it was kind of of course they're just black yeah. jackets it's not hard to do. i think it was the same crossover though double-breasted crossover as well oh so. maybe yeah, yeah yeah so that was but cool no, don't mention that when, when you've got a bit of a belly though <laughs> <laughs> yes it doesn't work and that guy did kind of have one didn't he as well he was a bit yeah. poor eric pierpoint <laughs> He wasn't. He wasn't. Didn't have the kind of the. You didn't have the kind of evil sneer that um that we got off the other lads. You know, I thought he was a bit whimsy. You know, especially when he got caught out by the Klingon. The Klingon just kind of gave him the finger and said, "Good luck." You know, he's like, "But I thought we had a deal." But again, that was. There's so many cool little lines, but I kind of loved. First of all, to what you were saying, I kind of loved the kind of. To Paul trying not to look embarrassed when Hoshi's like, I'm having weird sex dreams about. And then later on, when the Klingons just like. He just signs off with the equivalent of a middle finger, as you see him, and she's like, you told me we were going to work together, and you believed me. That was brilliant. I enjoyed yeah. that. Now. That was pretty cool. But now, to, to bring it back to what I was saying, as I've mentioned in depth all throughout this, I hate Section 31. I don't think they work in the Trek universe. This is oh, one no, of no, the least... Say, I, I detest them as well. Yeah, Actually, I hate them. I hate the whole thing in Discovery and all the way they had their own ships and everything just was fun. Yeah, I hated it all. I, yeah. I kind of wanted to just go back in time and get your man Daniels or whatever. Say, look, will you just put a bullet in that dude's head that came up with this idea, please? Because as you said, <laughs> yeah. it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's like something that they introduced because of the time well, in the nineties when you know it's DS Nine. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's I, I rage about it all the time. All the people that are always like DS Nine's the best series. Yeah, it's also the worst because it gave us a lot of the anti Trek shit that everyone was like, "Oh, this and is I such a cool idea." Knew what that was going on in America that people were writing this yeah. kind of yeah, the whole kind of you know um, the the kind of paranoia that was happening. So yeah. I think that that was a result of that. And it wasn't, it was gone by the time, as you say, Discovery and all. I think it looks, stu- I think it ruined Discovery, if you ask me, the whole thing. You know, it was already going in a bad place, but then it was great. Yeah. But I didn't mind it here, actually, because it wasn't, I, it was yeah, more about Malcolm's kind of, um, his um his kind of loyalties. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Rather, they well, could have kind of made it something else. You didn't even need to make. That's section. what I was gonna say. It's like that's what bugs me is that you didn't need to make it section thirty one. It was clearly just like, oh, we recognize that. You could have just yeah. said it was Starfleet intelligence. I I did like to see yeah. it though, even though I think Reed actually, I think um, Malcolm Reed is one of the poorest characters on Enterprise. Actually. Oh, I like him personally. <laughs> really, I would I, though. I mean, I'm English, so I just relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was in. He was in there. You know, what was it? The, the, the one about the hair, the barber shop. Desmond's. Desmond's. Yeah, I, I love that Desmond. show, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, no, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I've never been too crazy about him as an actor. I think he's. A bit it's old. a relatability thing. I'm, I'm British, extremely reserved and terrible with women. So I just see myself when I watch Reed. You know. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. I think it's Dominic Keaton. I think he always looks like he's about to burst into tears. I can't tell you, sir. I just can't oh, tell I like, you. I, I, I think he's great. And I like this. I will say that as much as I hate Section 31, the way that it was used as a kind of hmm. special ops, you know, mod, yeah. more modern, you know, spycraft kind of idea, at least yeah. is done well in this episode. And it gives you the chance to basically have Malcolm also middle finger the guy at the end and be like, look, I answered the one commanding officer, Jonathan Archer, hang up mid-conversation, go back to me, book. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, yeah. So what, what about yeah, you, so GK? Do, what, do you, <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of any of these things, including the Section 31 part, DK? I like the drama of, uh, I like the whole thing with reading the break, but as you say, it could have been done with, you know, special ops or something like that. Yeah. I, I just have a, loathing of section 31 which is weird because ds9 is my favorite show but yeah it, it worked the, the drama worked i could have happily done with that it added an, another layer to the show and i thought it was really good especially when you know archer was in the scenes between archer and reed when he went to visit him in the break but uh yeah the, the, the section 31 angle i could have i could have really just done without uh yeah. the, as far as uh the relationship with trip and to paul i yeah. I did like that. I did like that. Even the the weird kind of you know daydream kind of Hudsucker proxy Tim. It was a bit soap opera for me to be honest. Yeah, with doing, <laughs> dancing in the background. But uh, yeah, I I I did enjoy it, and I I, I know she got a lot of stick uh, as an actress. Did uh, she, Jolene? But Jolene Blaylock was really oh, great in this. Yeah, I think she was no, think great, great. and she got she had this. She she created she she had an atmosphere all the way through of being kind of broken, yeah. And I love well, especially that. after season three. I'll be honest, I, pre I much prefer the the subplots to the main ones on this. Yeah. And I don't get yeah. me wrong, I did like how it was handled in Divergence, but by the time that you know raiding party of Jason Momoa showed up, I just I, the the main plot, <laughs> I was just like, no, I, I'm, no, my man. <laughs> <laughs> a major plot thing that i want to talk about is uh well let me just sit you both down and say pop quiz hotshot dennis hopper has raided your ship with a bunch dennis. of klingons he's planted a bomb on the warp core your ships cannot go below 50 warp miles per warp 5.2 or whatever <laughs> so your ships are about to explode that actually jesus yeah that <laughs> what do you do oh, it is it is a blatant, it is speed in space uh, yeah. to the point that, like, they even have trip in the Keanu Reeves. We need to get you across from this speeding yeah. thing somehow. It's like, yeah, yeah somebody yeah. watched speed that weekend and was like, oh, wouldn't this be cool with spaceships? Right. <laughs> so, uh, what did you? Yeah, uh, that's, that's weird. I never thought of that before. I, maybe that's because I, I, I don't watch films like speed. Oh, but, okay. uh, I, I, Jesus, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, that's mad. Kind of ruins it now. Thanks very much. The first, the first <laughs> note I have written for divergences: speed! Exclamation <laughs> mark. <laughs> Last time I watched uh, that movie, I think I was doing my leaving cert or something like that. You know, it's like I was in school or something. You know, but um, I enjoy yeah, it for yeah. what it is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a it's a decent movie, but it's kind of like like you said, when you see it. You can't unsay it, and at least it's done well because it's done well because not everybody immediately like. I'm surprised that there wasn't a backlash of everybody like what somebody watched Speed, but when you do know it, you're kind of like, oh crap, it really is. Yeah, so much now it would probably be hammered, you know, because you imagine if Twitter had been around at that point, exactly. Jesus Christ, they would have just had you know heads, you know, they would have put imposed somebody's head on it or whatever. It's just yeah, yeah, it's crazy. 
But yeah, again, oh, the one thing I did like about it was that we get recently got to see the way the Enterprise was initially designed. Remember, they kind of had it the other way around, and then he went, no, it looks better. So it was interesting to see when the... <laughs> it does that a lot. <laughs> the Columbia was upside down. You kind of went, ooh, that's how it would have looked if it had been designed. It looks now. even more like an Akira class. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's still, I like that. I like that. That was really interesting. I was kind of pausing and going, hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I'm always was... a sucker for any time they realize that they don't have to have ships all oriented the same way because you're oh, in no. space. So it's like somebody finally realized it. It's like, oh, the ship's upside down. Well, no, it's yeah. not. There's no, what are you relative to? <laughs> to you, Mike. Remember, kids, when two ships love each other very much. <laughs> it's like yeah, I remember a lot like of backlash, backlash with regards to the design of the Enterprise, and it's yeah. part of me thinks it's the producers going, listen, these ships fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of the episode right there. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> listen, these ships so yeah, fair enough but no i do love that block because it's it for me the special effects really work they mm. you know it's it's exciting it did keep me on the edge of my seat i was thrilled i was kind of you know rooting for trip i still don't fully understand how captain archer was like i don't trust you reed but come out of the brig and be left completely <laughs> alone to bring this well, guy into the oh, like, hey, we there? have no one else that can stand by a tether and say <laughs> apart. come on it's coming apart <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, fair enough. I can sustain this belief of like, you're the only one with the training, but like, there's not a guard there to make sure he doesn't just push Trip out when he's like, oh, he didn't make it, Captain. Oh, no. Because well, our, our, well, our first thought when we were watching it is the engineering crew on the Columbia going, woo, back at, bastard's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the engineering crew just sitting with a giant pair of scissors usually used for opening a supermarket on the tether just like yeah, Ooh, yeah it'd be so easy while on the enterprise kelby sat with his head in his hands in some dark corner somewhere going oh god really Seth <laughs> yeah. is going, yes fantastic <laughs> i got rid of him i can do the orville now yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was pulling his voice on the radio, or probably on the intercom, saying, "I hate this place. I'm leaving." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. But no, I, I like it. So, did you guys have any other thoughts? Do you want to say anything about, uh, you know, the ships that f? <laughs> that was my favorite scene. Seriously, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not just doing it because Taking I'm taking the piss know. out of speed, and then it's your favorite scene. They must have done it, something. Like. I it's just, done well, it's, yeah. It's done. It's done really well. And despite, I mean, it's hokey. It's hokey as hell. But <laughs> there is a tension there, especially when the anchor's coming loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's was, just done yeah. well. Dramatic tension, and, uh, and it just so you, didn't it just kind of float away. It was that was that was good the way. Yeah, it just did. came loose. And... Yeah, that was yeah. good. I like. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people that nitpick that that's not how warp bubbles work or whatever else, but I just do not care. It looked cool. You yeah. Know? Oh. So, yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so just a couple of other sort of plot things that I wanted to talk about that I kind of noted and liked. I liked the idea that was put forth at the end about, like, basically Russian roulette with the Klingon virus. Um, it was such a cool kind of Klingon thing to do that uh, Uncle Phil was... Sorry, I don't know the character's name. Uncle Phil was basically like, you have health, three healthy Klingons here. Injectors, yeah, yeah, so, you know, so okay. the trolley car problem years, years before the good place. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so I kind of like that because it feeds into the Klingon idea, and you're also having a bit of tension that way. Um, mm. I'm kind of confused that Enterprise and Columbia just got away with straight up invading Klingon space. 
Like nobody seemed to question. Like surely they should start a war at that point. They were just like take us to that Klingon colony planet, not a problem. Just yeah, he, was, he was, you know, he was um, what you call it. He was uh, Klingons most wanted, wasn't he? He was. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's cliche, and I've mentioned it a lot of times. But I'm a sucker for the ticking clock, so I like the idea of like we need to somehow do something because the admiral of the Klingon fleet will blow up this entire colony and purify us if we don't do it, and then. Mm. I know it's not super ethical and it's not something I should love as a Trek fan, but I do kind of love Flox's solution of just like, well, we've beamed the virus to you, so you're infected. So you can either <laughs> let us get on with it or die. <laughs> it's your choices, buddy, you know? So, but then uh, it cling yeah. on, like in reference to the other previous, oh, yeah. you know, um, scenes, he should have said, I don't care. <laughs> Open fire. <laughs> so, well, no, because the whole point is like, it, it, what's the point at that stage? It's like, well, you have a cure, so you can save yourself and your ship or die along with yeah, the colony for no reason. We're talking about yeah. Klingons here, though, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're horribly inconsistent. So. Nothing ever makes sense with them. <clears throat> like, you know. Yeah. The thing that really annoyed me about that episode was the background in the Columbia with them things pulsing backwards and forwards. Oh, and that would. Piss me off if I was on that ship. That would do your head straight in, wouldn't it? <laughs> thought of that idea. Like this pulsing shit start happens. Like you know, I mean, it would drive anybody bonkers looking at that all yeah. day, especially if you weren't looking forward. And I just thought it was you wouldn't want to be on the this idea to make it look different. I, I I did not get that. I said that's just too much to make it look different. You know, you said just at a, you know at Hoshi Station on the Columbia, you you're gonna end up with epilepsy, surely? Yeah, you would absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a damn headache. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just you would, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'd be like that original series episode with the light shining on the, the Van Gelder guy. He's ah, the lights! Ah. Maybe that was the point. Maybe they were all a crew of criminally insane people they were trying to cure. I don't know. Are you just saying, <laughs> well, I that explains Seth MacFarlane. Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> he was transferred from the Enterprise, you jerk. <laughs> Probably because he belonged there. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to move us on because we've been talking for a while. So I'm going to move to the next uh, bit. Well, I'll ask you first, any other thoughts on like the writing and the plot, you guys? The only other note I have is for the opening from uh, Affliction, where, mm. they where they bring that Klingon in, strap him down and put that IV up. <laughs> and the, only, the only note I have is Klingon cooler gives you a really fucking weird brain freeze. <laughs> Oh, you are on fire this episode, CK. <laughs> Whatever you've been drinking is working for you, man. <laughs> are we not going yeah. to talk about Archer's Ridges as well? <laughs> we don't even oh, I did have that note. Any excuse to give Archer some ridges? He's already been Vulcan. Now he's Klingon. I think by the time he ended his career, Archer is the only captain in Federation history to have been every single fucking race. That's because he turned into Daniels. He doesn't know he was talking to himself. Because remember, he asked Daniels, what are you using on the mix of a lot of other things? Yeah. Perhaps by season six, he's running around with, you know, a Tellerite nose. It was cool, but it was it was very much like this is a fan service moment. I thought that bit of like, oh, I'll give Archer quickly some ridges at the end of the episode and let him talk about mm. having a craving for gach or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah that was that all about. That was just ridiculous as well. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah so I'll, I'm going to get into the direction and the special effects because I only have a handful of notes. Um, first of all, I, I, I did like the little scene inside Hoshi's memory during the mind meld. Again, it's not, you know, groundbreaking to do the like, ooh, spooky moment it's a memory ooh, moment but it was cool i thought it worked um i personally liked the dual battle between the uh klingon ship and the enterprise in space uh 
you know, which was also cutting in with the raiding party of Aquamans. I thought they were a good little dual battle moment. Um, uh, oh, a couple of shots that I noticed, the way that they framed Reed inside of the, I want to say bars, but they're not bars, the little holes or whatever in the in the jail cell. And what for whatever reason, I just love this, the epic zoom in to the Columbia Bridge through the ship. Like, yeah. the way that that's done is just so cool. Like, how has that never been done in a Trek series before? To just, you know, we're at high warp, so let's zoom the camera straight in through the front of the ship to us. So cool. Um, yeah, I, I do like the Columbia. I think she's a beautiful ship. And, uh, yeah, that scene where they merge warp bubbles is just, like, as I've said, so cool. Like, even 10 years earlier, that scene would not have worked. You've got to have really... You've got to have mastered a level of CGI that makes it not look shoddy, and I don't think it would have been anywhere near as good with models. I don't think you could have made it look anything less than hanging two things close together. Um, love the Klingon ship designs. Enterprise, Enterprise from a special effects point of view, the, the it holds up okay, but when you see little, when you see bodies or people, that's when it yeah. really falls flat. But I thought it was good in terms of the actual design of the ships. I did want to go to the acting. So the first person, obviously, we have to deal with would be the star of the show, the lead, Scott Bakula. Any thoughts on him in these uh, two episodes? And uh, yeah, TK, why don't we come to you first? <laughs> I thought he was really good. Uh, I, I, I'd much prefer Boy Scout Archer from the first couple of seasons before he became, you know, just completely just fed up with everything. I, I didn't really see it. The only thing I noticed is that I really loved the way he dealt with the Malcolm situation kind of thing because he got a chance to be a hard ass and still care. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Anyway, yeah, he yeah, was he was much more friendly in the first few uh, in the first couple of series. But I again is to me is uh Trip made me the, the MVP in these episodes, but I think Archie was fantastic. I've I've never got a bad word to say about Archie. He gets a lot of stick for being a bad captain, but I've I've never seen no, him. No, no. Yeah, no, I'd love him anyway. And I know, Ken, you love him, so you would have loved this episode. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of... Do you know what I enjoy about that? And it must have been kind of weird to film. I suppose if you're an experienced actor, you might be used to it. There was a lot of close-ups, like face-to-face -face yeah. close-ups, like they were spitting in each other's mouth. You Especially know, for filming like, in HD for the first time, you've got to think it was kind of like, oh, shit, we're going to have to really put on makeup. And, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there was a lot of that kind of face-to-face, nose-to-nose stuff, especially between Reed and uh, Archer. So mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that worked very well because you could I love see that physicality of Bacula, though, when he's arguing and he seems to literally be like pushing you into the wall without touching you. And he's like, listen, yeah. man, tell me what's going on, kind of, kind of thing. You yeah. Know, so. yeah, no, he's towering over him, wasn't he? And Malcolm was like, yeah. Oliver. Please, sir. I can't, sir. I can't tell you, sir. <laughs> I need the toilet, Captain. <laughs> He's just Malcolm, such a. I twat. love pineapple. <laughs> How did you know it was pineapple? We're going to bust the midnight all on this one, guys. <laughs> oh my word! So yeah. yeah, you kind of touched on it. So next, uh, obviously, we have to talk Connor Trinia trip in these episodes. Um, yeah, so Ken, we'll come to you this time. What do you think of, uh, of Trip in these? Again, I, I mean, I think I've spoke a lot about it when we were talking about the love interest with uh, T'Pol. I don't think he ever changed throughout the series. He was always quite sharp and off the hook. You know, he could lose the head very quickly. Um, he's a bit of a miracle worker. He's better than Scotty anyway, that's for sure. Because when I looked at the uh, the Columbia, it looked like it was a wreck until he yeah. came along. That cold start thing as well is one heck of a maneuver. Yeah. I don't that's understand like these specifics. Oh, I, I like that because that was like, yeah. you know, 
five, four, three, two, one, head, head. You know, so that was good. It was a kind of um something that Jordy would never do. Cool it leak, you know, he just he just like he just And yet when you break it down in much the same way as the speed thing, that is basically trips we have gone. We got a virus, turn it off and on again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, I suppose it's in reference to the fact I think the computer systems were a bit more simpler, probably. But as yeah. I said, uh, Jordy would have just dumped the uh the war oh. and had a spare one there. You've been you know? rolling under the door, yeah, rolling under a door. Yeah, exactly. And being dog ignorant to his old staff. But anyway, um, yeah, I thought I thought the uh, trainer played a great role overall in Enterprise, and I really liked him. I actually thought that if you're ever going to kill off somebody, it was the worst person to kill off. So I thought it was great that you know he, he was kind of very solid in 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 the episode. He didn't kind of lose the head as much as the others did. And um, I like the way he's kind of happy to stay on the ship all the time, which is handy. But I didn't like the toing and froing between Columbia. I thought that was kind of like, you know, this is going to end real quick. He's going to be back before you know it. So that was that was weird to watch, you know, in some ways. So, but other than that, he was, yeah, he, was, he gets, he always gets the best lines as well. I think in Star in Enterprise, you know. Yeah, that storyline fell very flat for me as well because it's kind of like when you've got a lead of of your show like that, mm. they're not going to end up on a different ship and be written off and. Yeah, yeah, it was very. Or the lights were switched off in engineering. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. It was very clunky at the end when they were like, "Oh well, you're going to be sticking around here for a few days." I was like, "Of course mm. you are, because you're never going back." <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, fair enough. Um, what about you, DK and uh, Connor Trinier? Oh, I always love Connor Trinier. Yes, he's, he's he's the heart of the show, really, when it comes to it. And yeah. uh, I think he was really again like you. I didn't like the uh, the sitcom way it was dealt with at the end, with regards to the Columbia situation. Uh, I do like the fact that whatever ship Trip isn't on instantly goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's a good guy to have around. So yeah, always always stable. As as Ken said, he never really changed. And uh, I, I, he's he's to me he's, he's the most likable. He's the most likable cast member, and yeah, yeah. I instantly liked him when I saw the very first episode of Enterprise. You know, yeah. I'm glad he got rid of the the third stuff that he used to quote very earlier on. That was all dropped very quickly. I'm just looking up some trivia actually about this episode. James Avery was in the running for Worf, actually. Really, I did not know that. Yeah. That makes kind of sense. Yeah, yeah. I I, I'm glad that didn't happen, obviously, because you wouldn't have Worf now. Yeah, <laughs> so, and you might not have was... Uncle Phil because Fresh Prince was like that era. Yeah, yeah. So I think they ended up in the right roles between the two of them, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think a lot of James Avery fans would have copped him in that role because he just was yep. very different to the role that he played. But and yet, you kind of wonder why he wasn't cast as a Klingon before because he's perfect. Like, True. he's got the uh, James Avery, he's got the physicality and he's got the acting True. chops. And then you look at, like, he's played Shredder for years. So he's done the kind of intimidating mm. villain bit as well, you know? Yeah, sure. yeah. He definitely had the, com you know, he had the command of each scene coming in the door, you know? You have one hour. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And again, in terms of funny scenes, I do love that when he's like, Flox, explain to me what's happening. Give me uh, details. And he then goes into like some, you know, yeah. psycho babble explanation. And he's like, details I can pass on to my superiors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every government was nodding their head there. You know, every person he works as a, as a you know, in the back, back streets of a government knows exactly what he meant by that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, was, I tell you, he was excellent in that role. He needed something. I like General, the other guy, though. I can't, who was the other guy? John Shuck, played by John Shuck, the guy who played the Klingon ambassador in Star Trek 4 and 6. Weirdly. Ah, yeah, he was good. I liked him. Especially yeah, he was fantastic. I love that character because, like you said, he's not a typical Klingon. He's like, you know, I, I'm looked down on because I'm a healer, but 
you know, I'd rather save lives than worry more about honor. And there's no honorable, more honorable thing to do than give your life for to save millions of others and everything. And it's like, this is a, such a cool character, even right down to the end. Like, he's the one you see without the forehead ridges. And he's like, oh, even my targ wouldn't recognize me. But, you know, <laughs> never mind, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, he was cool. So I'm going to, I will say very quickly, I personally like Seth MacFarlane. So I didn't mind. I know DK had issue. Wanted to punch his teeth. So. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just a reaction whenever I see Seth MacFarlane, mate. It's, it's nothing to do with the yeah, episode. I kind of feel that way as well. I, I don't really have much else because I, I don't want to say other than, you know, music, great dramatic emphasis, but fairly standard, I would say. Um, so, yeah. Do you guys have any other notes before I move us to the favorite character moment in line? Because we've been talking a while. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I'm out. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to that part next then. So I will start uh, breaking down and ask everybody's favorite parts. That's fine. Analysis. So, we always go to the guest first. So, Ken, who was your favourite character in these two episodes? Uh, James Avery playing that role that he General played. Kavak. General Kavak. General <laughs> yeah, very good. Like Would blood know. wine affect the results? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's dead. I like that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, he was great. He was brilliant. I liked him. Great presence when he came into the scene and, you know, stood out and, you know, had a very commanding presence, which sometimes Klingons don't think can look uh, comedic a lot. You know, maybe J.G. Herzler is one guy who doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. He has a great, he's, he has a great, um, he had a great ability to act, have a little bit of that comedic value into it. But at the same time, he could be menacing. And I thought that um, James Avery was similar to him in that. So he played that role really, really well. He looked like he'd chop your head off if he said the wrong word. Yeah, cool. And uh, so what about you, DK? Who was your favourite character? I'm going to go with my man, Archer. Oh, okay. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah he's my I mean, yeah. this was just crisis after crisis after crisis, and I think he handled it brilliantly. And as I said before, he, he gets a lot of stick for not being a good captain. But I think a lot of the, the main captains in each series would have been hard-pressed to put up with some of the crap that he put up with in this one. Yeah. Mm. Fair I enough. agree. Um, my favourite character was another of the Klingons. Mine was Antak. Uh, as I said, I like that he's an atypical Klingon because he's a healer, but he's he's honourable in his own way, and and it's really nice. And he gets a genuine arc across these two episodes mm -hmm. of like growing into understanding everything and having to be, you know, he's ashamed of of coming up with this and then trying to find the cure for it to kind of restore his honour in that way. And mm -hmm. like I said, you you realise it's the guy who played the Klingon ambassador in the movies, and it's night and day. Like I hate that Klingon ambassador who's all like, "Ah, oh, Kirk should be sentenced to death for this and whatever." But I love this Antak guy because he's so much more sympathetic. And and Coffee Dog Eyes in the whole two episodes, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, Look exactly. at me, I'm so sorry and I'm so sad. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that was my favourite character was that was him. And uh, so, what was your favourite moment or scene, Ken, in the episode? <laughs> I liked the uh, the brig scene. That was the best, you know. Oh yeah, that was. I can't good. tell you, Captain. I just can't tell you. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> you are lucky of... if a Klingon lied to his captain, he'd be killed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. No, just the first scene when you put him in there. I thought that was really good because, as I said, they got really close face to face, and it was kind of like, I'd say they had a few giggles doing that, you know. But um, yeah, it was good. We saw Malcolm, you know, at his kind of weak point because he's always it's not like pineapple, Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like Archer got up so close, he was like, "You smell like pineapple, Malcolm." I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. sir. That's the thing. He always used to look very strong in all the episodes, and always kind of sure of himself. And there, he didn't. It was a real conflict. So yeah. while I didn't think he played that role, that that F series pretty well, I thought his acting was a bit hammy. I thought I liked the scene. I liked the scene. Yeah, cool. fair enough. Uh, TK, you you're seeing. You kind of already told us, I think. But yes, the uh, the tether scene. Yeah, same. <laughs> and we've talked on the reasons why dramatic, tense, look the good. Space rope. 
<laughs> in the Speed 1960s, it would have been called the space rope. <laughs> Speed three trip control. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so your favorite line in the episode, Ken, if you can uh, think of one. Uh, I like the line that you were just saying there, you know, blood wine will affect the, the results. Yeah. Yeah, that was brilliant. And the other one as well, like it was only thinking when you said that to me, you know, I tell me so I can tell my Klingon superiors. You know, that was that was good. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were cool. What about you, DK? Uh, uh, You've mentioned this one earlier as well. Given the choice between honour and saving lives, I choose the latter. Mm. Yes. Those were all great choices. But personally, I went with um, the line, permission to come aboard from Trip, because I just think it's the perfect release of tension after that really tense scene and everything. And it's like the level of sarcasm when he's like collapsed into Malcolm, you know, the tethers flown off out of the ship. <laughs> it's like, Bridge, we have him. Ah, permission to come aboard. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That was, that was it's kind of something you would say, though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't unbelievable, but it was the way Trinia yeah. played it. It's kind of like. People, a lot of yeah. people, I think, would say to go with that line, actually. So, yeah, it's yeah. Cool. yeah. Malcolm's like, don't ask me, mate. I've just come from prison. Yes. <laughs> Where are these guys taking you? They're taking me to Paul's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> While you've been away. Well, he does have a nice bum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, the next part then, just before we end up, uh, you know, giving our final thoughts, would be to jump to the audience response because I have a lot on this one. Uh, like I said, the idea of the Klingon storyline, I think, more than anything, galvanized everyone. So across various Facebook groups, I got a ton of responses, and I want to try and uh, talk about as, a few as much as I can. Incoming transmission. Uh, so first of all, Mike Matthews says, "What if we came to accept that each Trek series has its own parallel reality, very similar but subtly different?" Oh, Don't agree, I mean, but you do you. <laughs> um, Greg Cox says, honestly, I preferred the way DS9 handled it. Just wink at it and move on. Not every change in art direction needs an in-universe explanation. Yeah, okay. Um, Ashley Kells says, I do agree the DS9 explanation was sufficient, but I like how they work the details of the explanation into Enterprise. Okay. Uh, Wes Huntington says, this two-parter really shouldn't have happened because fans now see this as, hey, Discovery, did you forget this? And launched a whole bunch of vitriolic hate against the powers that be for it, which we touched on. So, yeah. Ah, well. Um, Douglas Neary Jr. <laughs> exactly. Well, Douglas Neary Jr. says, was the explanation really needed after 26 years at that point? No. Am I glad we got it? Yes, I really did enjoy those episodes. So, yeah. Um, Daniel Rudolph says, I agree. It felt like a forced explanation. And there are things which are better when kept a mystery. Brent's Videos Journal simply says, love it, with a little heart emoji. Uh, Laurie Ulster says, I'm not a big Enterprise fan, but I like these episodes and that they decided oh. to find a way to explain this part of history. Person from this show immediately. <laughs> Rick Warren says, I think it was very clever and a good in-universe explanation, especially since it used parts of both suggestions from Trials and Tribulations. And then Discovery decided we needed a new kind of Klingon and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to address that. Uh, Eddie Klein says, it was a bit contrived, but I appreciated the effort. Gustavo Naranjo says, I liked it. The whole saga, I actually love Enterprise, but again, I grew up watching 80s and 90s television, so it could be an acquired taste. Uh, Brad Smith says it was fine and I like Section 31. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Ken Buckler says absolutely missed opportunity to make it more humorous. Like they changed, they intentionally modified the genetics to try and get Tribbles to stop attacking them or something. I kind of want to see that now. I do like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they turn into zombie Tribbles then. That was be <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean O'Neill says uh, it was a fine episode, but its explanation for the changing Klingon appearance isn't perfect. Based on what Enterprise tells us, we should have seen ridged forehead Klingons in TOS as well as smooth forehead 
again, we can can't wave it away. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Jackson says, super fun two-parter. Even Archer got some ridges out of the deal. I suppose the only issue is that Discovery and Strange New Worlds have disregarded this arc, but I understand the rationale for that with modern audiences. I believe this also enhances the trip leaving Enterprise because of Paul arc, which was fantastic. Uh, yeah. Ryan Leverger says, all I ever really needed for the Klingons was Worf's line from Trials and Tribulations that it is a long story. We do not discuss it with outsiders. It was the most perfect lampshading ever. I wasn't upset with Enterprise for doing the story, and it made sense. I just didn't feel like there was a need to do it. I liked the merging the warp fields and how they dealt with the mechanics of that. We don't often get into the details of ships at warp interacting. So it was interesting to learn a little more about some of that. Uh, where was I? Greg Cox says, I remember enjoying the episodes on their own terms. Just didn't think an explanation was all that necessary a half century after the motion picture. But didn't say I hated the actual episodes. Uh, and let's see. what have we... Oh, and Rick Everson, who you will have heard on the podcast a few times, uh, did chime in and say, okay, I think we absolutely did not need this. I didn't even want DS9 to acknowledge it in the Tribbles episode. As far as I was concerned, it was purely makeup advances. And we just had to accept that TOS Klingons would have had ridges if they could have afforded it. That said, I really enjoyed this two-parter. By this point, Enterprise had really ramped up, and this was just great stuff. The link back to the Augment story was great, and if you're going to explain it, this was as good a reason as any, and lends further credence to the general dislike of genetic engineering, with an example going wrong. Uh, I'm taking a leave it about Section 31 stuff. They served a purpose to keep the characters moving along. What was much cooler was seeing Trip having to abseil between two ships, and seeing more Columbia, and Captain Hernandez was also great stuff. And yes, James Avery was flipping amazing as a Klingon, and it makes you wonder why he wasn't tapped up to play one years earlier. Uh, Mill uh, Camos Mills says, I enjoyed it. Wasn't really knowledgeable about TOS at the time, but my dad, as a lifelong fan, was satisfied and happy to finally get an in universe answer. He loved all the series, but was very frustrated, though still enjoyed the Tribbles DS9 episode. With Wolf just remarking, We do not discuss it with others. Uh, Karmit Azuli says, It was a great way to tie stories together. The many fans pay attention to these details. Look at how many fan discussions there are about inconsistencies. Many of us appreciated the explanation, even if other people didn't. And that's it. That's all I have for this episode. All that remains now is for us to give our conclusions and our score out of five stars. So, <clears throat> Ken, as the guest, are you happy to go first and give us your conclusion and score? Yeah, uh, very good episode. It kind of went with the flow of the improvements of the season four overall. And I think it's a nice insert there. And you look back on it and it does tell an important part of the story, which probably has been told hundreds of times by um, fan films and so on. So it was nice to have something official. So I'd give it four out of five. Awesome. Uh, great. That's fair enough. Four out of five. TK, what about you? Your conclusion and score, please. Don't get me wrong. I love Enterprise. I enjoyed this and it held my attention, but it wasn't entirely necessary. Its premise is just there to explain one single discrepancy. And yes, there's a lot happens in here. But despite the good drama with Malcolm, I've never been a huge fan of Section 31 storylines. So while I think it's a decent enough story with solid performances and some great Trek moments, unfortunately for me, despite that, it never really reaches the peak of Trek. And I've given it three and a half. Okay, fair enough. So uh, I said it was a rip-roaring adventure. It frequently had my heart racing and kept me on the edge of my seat. And it's all built around the ultimate nerdy nitpick. I may not have desperately needed an answer to the Klingon thing, but I actually love the one provided. And yes, I do get a certain fan glee from being able to officially square that circle. This episode is much more than just that plot, though. The thrilling space battles, the daring speed, let's be generous and say homage, uh, continuing plot lines, well-drawn characters, regular and guest stars, and 90 minutes that's never less than completely engaging and doesn't slow down, no pun intended. Um, I don't love Section 31, as I've made clear. 
and I could live without their presence here, knowing what they are, but the plot and acting it provides to this story are almost worth it. It's at least the best usage of them as a sort of Earth Black Ops Secret Service MI6 kind of idea. Besides this and my own distaste and frustration at the ongoing trip into Paul will they or won't they nonsense, there's not a lot to complain about. Fun, rewatchable, some really brilliant scenes, good effects, acting, excitement. Yeah, this is a great and incredibly well done story. And I actually give it 4.5 out of 5. I didn't Oof. know we could give points. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'd be very old-fashioned there, giving it 4 out of 5. I probably would give it 4.5. <laughs> I can change it if you want. <laughs> oh, come on. Sorry. I think we've all been fairly fairly generous with it anyway. It makes it makes the average easy to work out because we always, you know, add it together, yeah. divided by 3. But exactly. not that I needed to do that between us because 3.5, 4, and 4.5 means the average is pretty easy to work out. So the final podcast score for Affliction and Divergence would be 4 out of 5. Which, uh, yeah, it's going to be near the top of the leaderboard, I think. Not that high, but it'll be there. So, yeah, I'm happy. I love these episodes personally. I can't really explain necessarily why, but hopefully you, that came across and uh, I made my thoughts clear. So just remains for me to say now, thank you so much to our guest, Ken, from the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Ken. Oh, I'm very welcome to be here. It's so wonderful. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And do you want to shout out where people can find you and your podcast on the interwebs? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I do loads of stuff, but the best way to find me is the comfortablespotpodcast.com. If you just uh, Google Comfortable Spot Podcast, you'll see my ugly face. So there you go. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, you can always find me and DK via the little links in our description. We have a couple of link trees and things there. And as I mentioned up front, uh, do kind of look into that Star Trek Prodigy stuff, the campaign, and sign the petition if you haven't that I'll link. And maybe go back and watch our timer mock review. So, uh, yeah, DK, have you had a good one this app? I have. I've enjoyed this. Awesome. It's always good talking tracks. So, uh, I think I may be shuffling around a couple of episodes that we've recorded in release order because I'm having an issue with editing and stuff uh, with somebody that's supposed to be helping out. And, uh, you know, you can't always rely on uh, speed when it comes to other people. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I'm not sure what the next episode is that will actually air, but I think the next one I'm recording. Uh, will be DK. You're sitting that one out. It's going to be just me and Sandra, if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, correct. So it will be either next week or the week after. It'll be a review of the DS9 episode, Soldiers of the Empire. So that should be interesting, and that may just be the two of us. But you know, keep it uh, keep it real. Maybe a bit shorter than this episode because I think we've probably run a bit longer than usual. But hopefully, we've entertained you and uh, you didn't just switch off. So <laughs> yeah, thanks again, Ken and DK. Thank you to listen for listening. If you uh, if you still are. And yeah, join us again. Uh, we, I think, are going on a quick break after the next couple of episodes, uh, but we will be back for the second half of the season later in the year. We're just basically trying to uh, give us a summer break and focus on the uh, getting a couple of silver screen podcasts up and running and things like that. So stay tuned. We will have, uh, in between that break, though, I'm trying to get together a new top 10 episode to tide you over. So we'll see if that comes together. Hopefully it will. And uh, yeah, come and join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, remember... We are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Kapla. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Oh boy. Kapla! Stop. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast under Facebook groups. 
Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.